your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. This ball well hit to right. This is a walk-off. C.J. Cloud, number 20. Little shaky top of the night. A beautiful bottom of the night. That's what it sounded like last night with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex is out today. He will be back tomorrow. It is myself and Tanner Hendrickson taking you up until 2 o'clock today. The Colorado Rockies walked off last night the San Diego Padres. The Padres have now lost five of their last six games. If you go all the way back to the trade deadline, the Padres have been one of the worst teams in the National League. Their only wins in that span have come against Arizona and Miami. They're pretty good. Not great, Bob. Not great. And now they have lost in this stretch four out of their last five against Arizona and Colorado. They're not losing to good teams. This is why, Tanner, when we talk about what the Cardinals are doing right now, you have to give them a little bit of credit for taking care of business that is in front of them. The Padres probably felt as a team, even though they're going through all of these injuries right now, as we've talked so much about, Eh, at least we've got the Diamondbacks, the Rockies coming up on the schedule. We'll be all right. We'll be able to write it through that, and then we'll see how things go afterwards. Well, they apparently took these teams lightly, and now they're allowing the Cardinals to get back into the mix. If you look at where they are today, the Cardinals are now four games back in the wild card. They have a 6% chance of making the playoffs, according to oh, fan graphs. just keeps climbing. That still feels pretty low to me. The Reds are at 43% and the Padres are at 47%. Given where the Padres are at with all of their injuries and given what they have right now in their rotation, where since the beginning of June, they have a 5.3 ERA as a rotation. I think this window is becoming a little bigger than I expected it to be. I never thought we would get to the point where this is a legit possibility for the Cardinals. I always thought that the division was going to be the route. I think Nolan Arenado might have been right when he told Greg Amsinger back at the uh, all-star game that the Cardinals would be playing in the wild card game. Maybe he knew something that we don't. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at what I said that earlier when we talked about, I think it was coming right out of the all-star break. I said, I would not be shocked if the Padres kind of fall off or somebody in that wild card race out in the NL West falls off because they're just going to beat each other up. 
Well, not only is that probably going to happen to the Padres, the Padres are beat up. They're pitching last night. I watched the first, I think it was five, six innings that game. Weathers didn't look that great. And you know a team is beat up and struggling with their pitching depth. When this is the second day in a row, we're at 11 o'clock. They play in about eh, seven, eight hours. They still haven't named a starter for today yet. They didn't do that yesterday until about three hours before first pitch. Looks like they're going with Matt Strom. Oh, okay. Well, MLB.com or the MLB app says TBD is still p- pitching for him. So the, he's he an opener. So it, it, even if you do have him going as your starter today, that's that's not a real starter. That's a guy that's going to go two innings for you. No, and you're pitching in Colorado, which is mm-hmm. never a fun thing to do, as a lot of pitchers can tell you about. And now you're going to wear out your bullpen with Snell going tomorrow, and Snell has not been a guy that has been consistent for them this year. Yeah, they are they are reeling, and they they you mentioned the window how the window looks a little bit bigger. That window's completely wide open, in my opinion. This is coming down to a, I'm going to say a four-team race, because I still think Philadelphia can catch the wild card spot. I don't think the Mets are there. I think the Braves are going to win the NL East. Then it comes down to the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Reds, and now the San Diego Padres. And it's going to come down to whoever is the healthiest and whoever gets the best pitching. And that's why I kind of like the Cardinals' chances, because they're getting healthy and their pitching looks really good of late. And if the Cardinals are going to do this, it's going to take what we just saw against the Pirates and the Royals. They're going to have to continue doing that over the next couple of weeks once they get back into the bad portion of their schedule. It's also going to take beating good teams. And that's something that down the stretch we're going to have to see. And it has not been the MO of the Cardinals this year. They're 20 and 32 this season when they play a team that is above 500. The only National League teams that are worse in such such situations are the Rockies. They're terrible. The Nationals, they're no good. They sold everybody off. The Pirates, we just saw them. And the Diamondbacks, who seemingly never win a game unless apparently they're playing against the Padres. Mike Claiborne was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and they asked him, do you need to see the Cardinals beat up on the Brewers to be able to buy into what we've seen lately? And if they don't, is this going to be considered fool's gold? I mean, you know, when you think about the last two teams they faced in Pittsburgh and Kansas City, I mean, they're combined, what, 52 games under 500. You know, overall, I think it's going to be a very good test, and I think it's one that's going to be well needed because, let's face it, you get into postseason play, if you're fortunate enough to get into postseason play, you're going to play a good team, okay? Good teams make postseason. And if you don't know how to beat them now, then you're just wasting everybody's time thinking you can beat them later. The other thing about it is the way that the schedule sets up. It's not just right now playing against the Brewers, and we'll get more into this series as we go along today. It's also the month of September. The Cardinals finish with 23 games against teams that are currently at or above 500. 23 of them. If the Cardinals are going to be able to make a run like we all seem to think in this room, at least they can and will, they're going to have to win some of these games similar to the against the Brewers. You're going to have to win some games against Cincinnati and the Dodgers and New York and San Diego. Those are the teams that you're going up directly against in the wild card race. And if you're able to knock some of these teams off. It helps your case, and it hurts the teams directly that you're going up head-to-head. It's a blessing and a curse the way that the schedule sets up down the stretch. Yeah, it is a blessing and a curse because, yeah, right now this year, technically, historically, you have struggled against those 500 teams. But I would counter and say most of the year you haven't been at 100%. So I wonder what a 100% Cardinals team looks like. Now, granted, we'll see what Dylan Carlson's status is for tonight. We still haven't heard on his wrist if he's available or what the case is with him. So... He's the number one guy to keep an eye on for me heading into the night, just health-wise. And, of course, Michaelis is coming back. So I wonder if this team, when healthy, can play well against 500 teams. And 
Part of that is because, you know, the lineup is starting to click. We've talked about that. They've scored four runs in, I believe, their last 11 games. So the offense is clicking, and I think that's because everybody's kind of folding into their role now that we've got this healthy lineup back out there and rolling. The pitching staff has been pitching great. Jack Flaherty looked incredible in his first start, and he's he's back, and he's going to be pitching against these teams above 500. The Cardinals, in my opinion, have to they have to play about 600 ball in that stretch. Six and ten uh, or six and four basically in a 10 game stretch against 500 teams you said they got 23 games left against 500 teams or better if you play 600 ball against those teams that's basically taking two or three from every one of them or a little little less than that yep. then you're a playoff team and as Clay said you're gonna have to beat these 500 teams to be a playoff team yeah and you got to dominate against the bad teams that you've got remaining on the schedule and that includes down the stretch seven games against Chicago I mean the last two weeks of the season you're gonna see this version of the Cubs which is historically bad right now uh for quite a bit of time so it's it's going to take a little bit of both. You're going to have to do well against the good teams, and you're going to have to dominate the bad teams. By the way, the Cubs have been outscored by 114 runs in their last 45 games. Holy cow. It is the worst run differential in any 45-game span within a season of the modern era. This is literally the worst 45-game stretch in the last 100 years in Major League Baseball. That's what the Cubs team is doing right now. So when the Cardinals play them down in the final two weeks of the season, that's a team you should expect to go 7-0 and against. So go ahead and write that in stone right now. They may not win another game all year. I watched them last night. They lost, I think, 12-2. They could have given up a lot more than that because the first four innings, there was a lot of traffic on base for Cincinnati. We're going to talk a lot about this series between the Cardinals and the Brewers throughout the day-to-day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You can always leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. want to hear from you guys about where you're at with the Cardinals right now. Is it tepid? Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you ready to go all in if the Cardinals are able to win two out of three or dare I say it, sweep this series against the Brewers. We want to hear from you throughout the day-to-day. It's 11-13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll get the Brewers' perspective on this series with Will Salmon coming up at 11-30. He's the Brewers' beat writer for The Athletic. He wrote a great piece recently on how the Brewers' offense has come alive of late. We'll talk with him about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, speaking of offense, the Cardinals' offense has really come alive over the last two weeks or so. Is this legitimate or is this a benefit of going up against bad teams? Talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. If the Cardinals can take two or three against those Brewers, you know, I, I think that you can get your hopes up. But, you know, they ha- they've shown reason why they can, why fans can be optimistic right now. And I know, yes, they won six straight. Yes, eight out of nine. Sweeping teams are hard no matter who the opponent is. And if you think back to June and July, they weren't beating teams of this caliber. This is a Brewers team that is vastly different from the last time they faced off three months ago. I mean, they have Adamas, they have Escobar, they have Rowdy Telez. 
So this is a completely different Brewers team than from what the Cardinals had to grind out a very gritty series win in May in Milwaukee. Um, And this is also a very different Cardinals team. This is going to be a huge series for both of them. The Brewers and the Cardinals begins tonight. Adam Wainwright on the mound for the Birds. Jack Flaherty going tomorrow. TBD on Thursday. My guess would be that's going to end up being Miles Michaelis. And you get the big three of Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff going for the Brewers. The question that we asked before the break was a simple one. Are you actually believing in what has been an offensive outburst a bit for the Cardinals over the last 11 games? They've scored 11 or four or more runs in each of their last 11 games. And it's coincided, not coincidentally, with the Cardinals finally getting to watch both Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt hitting at a high level over that stretch. Both of them are hitting 300 over their last 11 games. Both of them have an OPS over 900 in this stretch. And oh, by the way, Your cleanup hitter and Tyler O'Neill also has an OPS nearing a thousand in this stretch. So your two, three, four hitters are playing like two, three and four hole hitters. And that's what's gone on in this stretch. But it also has taken place mostly against Kansas City and Pittsburgh. So Tanner, are you believing in what we're watching right now? Do you believe it will sustain itself against the Brewers? Or do you think this was a little bit of a one off that happened to happen against really bad opponents? I think it was a little bit of a one-off, and the reason I say that is because I don't expect them to put up the offensive numbers against the Brewers pitching that they are putting up on the Pirates and Royals. I I still think we're going to see Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill have some pretty good series, but offensively as a whole, the guys that are around them, Tommy Edmond, who was getting on base a lot during that stretch, who was really taking over that leadoff role, especially in that Royal series when Dylan Carlson was out, I don't know if him or Paul DeYoung or Edmundo Sosa or Lars Nupar, Rondon, all those other guys besides those three that we've mentioned that are hitting 2-3-4, I don't know if they're going to be able to put up the numbers and kind of support this cast. Now, granted, Arnado and Goldie really help kind of themselves beat the Royals because I believe they combined for, what was it, five RBIs, seven RBIs in the final game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a one-off in my opinion. And in terms of that, I mean just the outside of those three guys that are hitting, but those three, Goldie, Arnado, and O'Neal, I kind of see those guys being the guys that can kind of propel the offense ahead of the Brewers team because, as you mentioned on the Dame Mac show with BK, it's going to be three two games. I don't I don't expect an outburst of seven runs at all in this series. I I would be stunned if somebody scores more than five at all during this three game stretch between the Brewers and the Cardinals. Yeah, I I think that the way that I look at this is kind of similar to a text we just got six five seven eight zero zero comfort service text line from the three one four. I think it's a little bit of both. I think playing the bad teams has allowed the Cardinals to find their footing, which I don't think they could have done against the good teams. When you're playing against quality opponents and you don't, you haven't found yourself, you're not going to consistently beat up on them. But playing those bad teams right now allowed a little bit of good vibes to come into the clubhouse and to really find your ground again, uh, to find your game rather. And then you can take on the momentum and build that against the quality opponents. That's kind of how I feel. I think the Cardinals needed to go up against these poor opponents to be able to find their footing. And now the the real test is, can you sustain that against the quality opponents that are on your schedule? And so far this year, as we mentioned, that has not been the case. But if you're looking for a little bit of a silver lining, the Cardinals big bats have done pretty well this year in a very small sample size against Corbin Burns. Nolan Arenado in his career is batting 333 again very small sample size is 2 for 6 against Corbin Burns. Paul Goldschmidt is batting 462 in his career against Burns. Uh you look at what 
Matt Carpenter has done in this series Whoa. against Corbin Burns. Whoa. I know. You're I know. Just throw Carpenter out there like that. He's batting that? 308 against Burns. Paul DeYoung's batting 308 against him. Tommy Edmonds batting 375 against him. As strange as it sounds, you do have some guys that have had success against Corbin Burns who will be starting for the Brewers tonight. So when you combine the fact that these guys have had success against him before, they are currently on a bit of a hot streak. I think you can expect it to continue against the Brewers. That being said, no, I don't think you're going to see four or more runs in each of these three games. I don't think you're going to see this stretch continue against Milwaukee because nobody's done that against them. This is the best run prevention team in baseball right now. They have great defense, especially up the middle with Colton Wong. They have fantastic pitching, not just with the starters that we talk so much about. They also have a really deep bullpen with guys that can come at you from every angle, from all kinds of different speeds. So this is going to be a huge test. And I think what it's going to test for me, Tanner, is more so the pitching and defense for the Cardinals than it is their offense. I'm going to go into this series knowing, okay, yeah, three runs might be what it takes to win these games. I also have to know that your your pitching, that's the thing that I'm more curious about. Can that sustain against what's actually been a pretty darn good offense over the last six weeks or so? Because Milwaukee early in the season was not good offensively. But since June 26th, they're the second best offense in the sport behind only the Toronto Blue Jays. So can the the, the pitching that you've had with Wayno, who's been fantastic for you, with Flaherty, who we just saw, and he was outstanding his return, and whether it's Lester or Michaelis, can those guys keep you in it long enough for the Cardinals offense to come up with the big hit? So often in June, they weren't able to get that big hit. That's what they need to come up with in this series. And it's going to be Goldie and Arenado. Can those guys do it? I, I think they can. I think this Cardinals team has enough to be able to get it done two out of three times against Milwaukee in this series. See, I find it interesting that you said that you're going to be keeping an eye on how the pitching can kind of, if they can keep this offense in check for the Brewers. Because the number one thing I'm looking at in the series is kind of what you just mentioned is the offense. Can they kind of find that way to grind out these games offensively? Can they create a run? Because I, I think we're going to have to see, we talked about it, I believe it was yesterday, that how the Cardinals seem to be getting a little more aggressive on the base pass. Goldie's all of a sudden starting to run more. We saw a attempted double steal, and then Arnado decided to back out and go back to first. But I think it's going to take this offense, not only getting the big hit, but they're going to have to grind out. They're going to have to hit the ball the other way to move the runner over. You're going to have to see guys be smart on the base pass, which the Cardinals are. They have been a very good team on the base pass this year, but that's the number one thing I'm looking for in this series. Because I've, and maybe I'm jumping on board the pitching already a little too soon, but I've kind of, I've kind of regained my confidence, whether it's in the in the rotation and in the bullpen for this Cardinals team. And granted, maybe it's because they were playing bad teams, but offensively, I'm still looking for that moment against a good team for this team to have that one, that big hit, whether that's from Arnado or it's from someone down in the bottom of the order, like a Harrison Bader. I'm looking for that one moment. Been struggling of late, by the way. Yeah. So I BKL, by the way, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking for that Don't offense. You put that on me. That's that one, not hey, on me. You're, you're the one who brought up this whole thing about Harrison Bader, how he's on a tear, extension talk, and now he's gone cold. But that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most in the series is can you come up with that big hit? Can you create a run that you probably shouldn't get? Maybe that's a walk that ends up leading to a run because of a stolen base, then a ground ball that gets a guy over, and then a sack fly. Something like that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, what are Jack and Wayno's numbers in their career against the Brewers? I I don't think that is 
particularly instructive just because this Brewers team is so much different than the guys they've gone up against in the past. And so Jack's numbers are historically bad in Milwaukee. Yeah, so I, I don't think that really helps us learn a whole lot about whether or not they're going to be successful against this Brewers team. Uh, I will say this, and again, I don't know how helpful this is because the Brewers are different right now than they were in April. But in April, Adam Wainwright threw five innings. He gave up just one earned run against the Brewers in a 3-1 to win for the Cardinals. And in May, the only start that Jack Flaherty has against the Brewers this year, he threw six innings of shutout baseball. He allowed a total of six base runners in that game. The Cardinals won that one two to nothing. So in the two starts that you've seen from Wayno and Flaherty against the Brewers this year, Cardinals are 2-0, and and they've allowed a combined one run in 11 innings. So they've been very good against the Brewers. But again, that's not the same Brewers lineup that you're going to be able to see in this series. So it's going to be more difficult for them, and this is not the same Jack Flaherty that we saw earlier in this year. I know he's great on Friday night, but he is coming off of what was an extended absence, and this is his first real test against quality lineup. So I'll be interested to see what that looks like for him. And coming off of this little workload that he had last night at a major league level, too, on his normal rest. I, I want to get your opinion on this because we just mentioned Flaherty getting his second start from injury. I don't think it's the best-case scenario for the Cardinals. I know we've talked about this series, and Thursday the Cardinals haven't announced a starter. I don't think it's the best case for the Cardinals to throw Michaelis in this series. I would rather see him get a start against a lower-quality team like Pittsburgh or Detroit rather than have throw him into this series in what could could be a rubber match and see what you get out of him because this will be his first time facing Major League hitters again in a long time, so I don't know if I want him going against this Brewers lineup that's hot. I'd rather have what they did with Flaherty. Now, granted, they did it because of the DH mostly, but get a start out there where it's less-quality opponent, kind of build up a little bit of confidence, and then have him ready for your next big series. Do you trust... John Lester to go up against the Brewers. Like if I told you big game, you've got to have it game three of the series. Let's say it's one to one Brewers and uh, Cardinals have split the first two games of the series with Wayno and Flaherty on the mound. Are you wanting John Lester or Miles Michaelis on the mound right now? I would say John Lester. And the reason I say that is he hasn't, he didn't pitch bad in his last start and he is historically a big game pitcher. And granted, I get it. It's not the same pitcher. I, I understand on. that. Come on now. I understand that. But he he's a guy that you have to look at, and you have to look at his career resume. And again, no, you don't. It's, it's not. Oh, come on. You're the one who he's number two of Cardinals down the stretch. But, I was wrong. Okay, but <laughs> I got that wrong. Surprise, I, surprise. I would I would start him just because I want Michaelis to get a start against a lower quality opponent rather than throwing him right into this this bloodbath that's going to be this Cardinals Brewer series if Michaelis was a bit like if this was Johan Oviedo coming back after an injury or coming back up because the Cardinals needed him or whatever I would totally agree with your assessment I would throw him against Pittsburgh I don't think Michaelis is mentally frail especially after what he's been through over the last year plus if he ends up getting hit around against Milwaukee he'll I have full confidence that he'll be able to bounce back he'll he'll go up against either Detroit or Pittsburgh in his next start That'll be fine for See, him. It's not so much the mental side of it that concerns me with Michaelis and his ability to bounce back. It's more of just him not being as crisp in his first major league outing facing major league pitching because he's looked good in his last rehab start, but it was at, I believe it was in, was it Palm Beach? Well, let's be honest about John Lester. Oh, like, 
Whoa, whoa. What are you uh, saying about John? Uh, Lester's fine. He, he's been fine for the Cardinals. but and he'll be fine against Milwaukee on Thursday. I wouldn't expect that. I, 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 can't, I can't guarantee that by any stretch of the imagination. I think, I think at this point in their careers, Michaelis is just a better pitcher. So if I can have the better pitcher going up against the better opponent, I'm going to go with that. The other question that is going to happen in this series is what do the Cardinals do at shortstop? And you've got Wayno, Flaherty, and potentially Michaelis or Lester on the mound. You want to have your best defense out there in what is going to be a run prevention type of a series. I think I'm going with Edmundo Sosa, at least to start things off in this series, especially with Paul DeYoung still working his way back from the back issue that he had over the weekend. Edmundo Sosa has been awesome in the month of August. He has an OPS over 1,000. Paul DeYoung's been solid, uh, especially over the last week or so. But if I can pick one out of those two, and I know Edmundo Sosa is the hot bat that I can put in the lineup, and he's better defensively, I think I'm leaning on him until things start to go cold again for Edmundo Sosa. And that'll come offensively. He he goes through uh, his fits and spurts, but he's looking good right now at the plate. I think I've got to go with Edmundo Sosa as my starting shortstop in this series against the Brewers unless something goes awry. Yeah, I think I'm with you. He's looked good offensively and defensively. He's playing really well. That play he made in Kansas City on the backhand and got, I don't remember who it was out at first, but I mean, it's a play I don't think Paul DeYoung makes, and he's been dealing with apparently a sore back, so I don't know how that's affecting him. But yeah, I, I think you have to ride the hot hand and pro- ride the guy that provides a little bit of a spark. And Mundo Sosa provides a spark that Paul DeYoung just doesn't bring this team. That's why I'm riding in Mundo Sosa. Now, granted, what's probably going to happen is Car- if Carlson's out of the lineup tonight, he'll probably start Paul DeYoung, and then you could shift Sosa to second, but mm-hmm. let's be honest, Carpenter, because of his numbers, will play at second. Uh, may, I, I think they would go with, in this particular series, I think they'd go with Sosa. What? You, I think they would go with Sosa. You know Schultz right in the lineup card, right? I do, but I think he would be the first guy off of the bench as a pinch hitter. I, I think they would go with Sosa. Um, but I, I think I, they I want his have, defense out there. I don't have faith in that. <laughs> By the way, 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We have multiple people saying that they would give Lester a shot in this series. And how can I possibly say that Miles Michaelis uh, is better now after he hasn't pitched in the last two years? Are these the same listeners that three weeks ago were yelling at the Cardinals for uh, acquiring John Lester? What's going on? These are different people. (laughs) Okay. I was just making sure. John Lester is perfectly fine. But remember the analogy that Greg Amsinger used about the the spare tire for Wade LeBlanc? Yeah, and he was right about that. John Lester's the spare tire. When you're you're able to actually get the replacement on there, you do that as soon as you possibly can. You don't go on a road trip down to Gulf Shores like I recently did with that spare tire still on. Uh, unlike the LeBlanc spare tire, this spare tire's only gotten stronger. Okay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, Will Salmon is the Brewers beat writer for The Athletic. I want to ask him about the Brewers' offense because it was not good the first two and a half to three months of the season. Since mid-June, it's been one of the best in the sport. Other than personnel, which we know, what changed for them? We'll talk to Will Salmon about that and preview this series against the Brewers coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm 
I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text sign. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But right now, we continue previewing a huge series for the Cardinals. Cardinals versus Brewers with Wayno versus Burns tonight. And joining us to do so is Will Salmon. He's the Brewers beat writer for The Athletic. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Hey, Will, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely thrilled to have you. So one of the main reasons I wanted to reach out to you is because you had a great piece the other day about how the Brewers have changed their offensive approach, especially against breaking balls. We looked up the numbers a little bit earlier today, and since June 26th, the Brewers have the second most productive offense in the sport. And of course, some of that is the additions that they've made personnel wise. But for our listeners who may not have read your story yet, what else has changed about this Brewers offense to get it back on track? Yeah, first, I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it starts with the acquisitions they made with Willie Adamas, Eduardo Escobar, Rowdy Kelez, really deepening their lineup. Um, but like you said, there's a little bit more to it because it's not just those guys who are producing, even though they are, they have been the biggest producers. It's also guys who were on this team last year and for the first two months of this season. Um, guys like obviously Al Garcia, Luis Urias, Omar Narvaez. Uh, Tyrone Taylor, Colton Long, guys like that have been on this team the whole season, right? Um, but those first two months of the year for for the Brewer, for the Brewers, they could not hit anything but fastballs, and uh, and we saw it day in day out where pitchers would just like feed them breaking balls, and it would just be whiffs. I mean, they just would not even some, most of the time not even make contact, um, let alone hard contact or or get hits. That was not happening. Um, so it took about two months or so, but Finally, once the Brewers realized that, hey, this is actually a thing, um, they, of course, knew that it was a thing, but they wanted it to at least stabilize the numbers, and they wanted to approach guys with ways to get better, um, not just point out, hey, we stink versus breaking balls, because that was pretty obvious. But um, So they went to every all each of these guys that I named, and they, they just reached out to each one of them, uh, worked with them on a way to sort of uh, game plan against that, have a different approach, whether that's being more aggressive earlier on, in counts um, or just shoring up weaknesses on particular parts of the zone. And it's worked. I mean, they're, they've been one of the better teams against breaking balls. And the, the obvious caveat is that um, the sticky stuff, uh, stuff, uh, you know, in regards to that being finally sort of eradicated from the game, hopefully um, that's been, a, that's obviously a thing um, as far as context goes, but um, the Brewers were dead last in, the, in these categories and now they're, you know, in the top ten, in the top five for some, and so that's a huge, um, it's a huge difference, and a lot of credit goes to their uh, their coaching staff on that. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of the guys that the Brewers have brought in this year that have changed this as well are are typical Cardinals types of moves. Like Willie Adamas is five years ago the type of move that the Cardinals would have made, and then Brewers fans would be like, "Are you kidding me?" Of course, this guy ends up being awesome with uh, the Cardinals. Have you felt like, or have Brewers fans, I suppose, felt like every move that uh, Stearns has made so far this year has kind of struck gold for this team? They kind of, um, you know, you kind of go back to like last year when they made decisions on certain players, like Omar Narvaez, for instance. He was a guy who, like, if they non-tendered him um, in, say, November, December, people wouldn't have like pushed too far too much back on that because he was, he was horrible offensively for this team. I mean, he had like a, you know, he was, he had like a 170 batting average. Uh, the advanced statistics were not good. I mean, he just he couldn't get going. 
Um, but they made the decision to bring him back. They believed that that was just an anomalous year in a weird in a weird season, and they were right with that. And um, they made a, they made a bunch of good moves. I mean, um, putting Freddie Peralta in the starting rotation has paid off. Uh, acquiring uh, Colton Wong has really helped them um, form an identity of their team early on. And obviously the moves in the middle of the season have really worked out the best with uh, Adamus, like you mentioned, but also Rowdy Telez uh, being a pretty good option at first base and Eduardo Escobar uh, being a really good power threat in the middle of the lineup. There's been a couple of moves that have not worked out. Um, They made a couple of deals at the deadline for relief help that have not worked the way they wanted to. And they also signed Jackie Bradley Jr. way back in February. And he has, he just never got going offensively and hasn't gotten going offensively. So um, definitely the, the moves that have worked out certainly outweighs the ones that do not in profound ways. So it's been a better year for, um, for their front office. Will Salmon is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Athletic where he writes about the Brewers. You can also find him on Twitter at his name, Will Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N. Will, in St. Louis, everybody's viewing this as a pretty darn big series because it's the first time that we've seen this version of the Cardinals against a quality opponent really in a while now, basically since the deadline. How is Milwaukee viewing this series against the Cardinals? Well, they better view it the same way <laughs> because I think the Cardinals are a pretty, pretty solid team. I mean, they're, what, five games over 500 right now, and they have a, a lineup that is starting to hit now a little bit more consistently than it was in the past. Uh, and they've gotten healthier with the rotation, of course, with clarity back. So they're, they're a team to be taken seriously, no doubt. And, um, you know, everybody here has been looking, and when I say here, Milwaukee Brewers fans, they've been looking more at the Reds just because of how much they've surged in the standing since, I want to say, July. And um, they are ahead of the Cardinals, but uh, like you look later on and not too far after this, there's a bunch of games between the Brewers and the, and the Cardinals this, this year that's left. I think it's 13, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, that these two teams play each other. So if you drop these two, like you put yourself in a bind a little bit because you all of a sudden put your back against the wall where you kind of have to beat St. Louis um, more often than not the rest of the way. Because uh, they could easily gain games on you just head-to-head, um, and they're good enough to do that. So they should be viewing it pretty seriously. Um, they have their one, two, three uh, aces in this series, so that should make for a lot of fun with uh, Corbin Burns, uh, Freddie Peralta, and Brandon Woodruff. That's what I wanted to ask you about next. On paper, they're set up well with those three going in this series has there been anything whatsoever that you've seen this year that opposing hitters have uh, been able to have success with against Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff? Is is there anything, a, a glimpse of hope for Cardinals fans? Yeah, sometimes, like, uh, particularly against Woodruff, um, he's had a little bit of trouble when teams have been maybe aggressive on him, where they've kind of jumped his fastball early in the count. Um, we've seen him give up home runs that way, and he, he doesn't give up too many home runs. If you know his home run per nine is like 0.7 or something along those lines, so it's pretty low. But the point is, is that he sometimes – that was a problem earlier on um, and in the middle of the season. Um, not so much anymore. I think he's tried to correct that, but that's been a thing. And also, uh, you know, he comes – every once in a while, he'll run into a bad inning where it's maybe the second time through the order. A guy's make him work a little bit harder, so – um, that that's one thing that comes to mind. Burns has just been pretty dominant the whole year. I would say he had a couple of hiccups. And when I say hiccups, he, it was like five innings, six innings of three runs, four runs. Um, so it's like, you got to put that into context. He's been virtually 
um, unstoppable. If you look at his advanced statistics, he's the leader in uh, F4 among pitchers right now. Um, top, one of the top ERAs, one of the top um, XERAs, which tells you that he's just not giving up too much hard contact. And the deal with Freddie Peralta is, um, you know, he's he's been pretty unhittable. I think his, his hits uh, per nine may be the lowest in baseball. But the problem with him is that his walks are pretty up there. He, he's one of actually the leaders as far as, like, walk percentages go. Um, and so, like, that's one way to get to him. Um, other than that, there really isn't that much of a weakness. I mean, these three guys have been uh, firing pretty well and pretty consistently all year. And so those are probably the couple of things that come to mind is things that are just do not make them perfect, but they're, they're, they've been pretty darn close as you can tell by their ERAs and every other number that you want to look at. And the result is a 72 and 47 record on the season. And it's been a hell of a year for the Milwaukee Brewers. I, I did want to ask you because I feel like we were kind of slow to this, or at least I'll, I'll speak for myself. I was slow to the Brewers as being one of the best teams in the league this year. I, I thought they were good. I didn't know they were going to be great. Was there a moment, a series, a point in time when, when you caught on and you were like, oh, this, this might be better than just a, a solid season for the Brewers? Yeah, I would say it was um, at the end of June, um, and this this could be the same answer, I guess, for um, the Cubs season for that matter, but they had that game where they fell behind. I think it was 7 nothing. I want to say it was June 30th, and um, they were down 7 nothing in the first inning, and they won that game. I think they won like 15-7 to or something like that, um, and it was just like a ridiculous game, and that to me was just like, okay, this team is, is for real because I, I've never seen a team come from behind 7 nothing after the first inning. Um, in a game where they brought up a guy from AAA, Aaron Ashby, who was making his first start. And um, it was really a bullpen game, essentially, for the Brewers. And after the first inning, it was, I don't know what the percentages were, but it had to be close to zero as far as chances to win that game. And then they ended up winning it. And um, a lot of it has to do with the arrival of William Adamas. I think that um, they're, they've been a different team since they've acquired him from the Rays. And that occurred on um, May 22nd. And so since then, they've had the best record in baseball. And um, you know, he's really changed them on the field uh, because of his presence in the lineup and solidifying the shortstop position. But also in the clubhouse, he's made them just a much more palatable team to watch. I mean, they, they're actually fun to watch. And in parts of the first two months of the year, they frankly were not very fun to watch. Hmm. Um, even though that they were winning some games, they just didn't have that element. You know, like when you see a team like you guys know from watching the Cardinals and when the Cardinals have been at their best, and there's this like uh, presence to them. Like, you know that they're confident, you know, that they're having fun. Um, that was really missing for, for Milwaukee for the first two months of the season, despite some, some good weeks here and there. So he's, he definitely changed this team for the better. Final question that I've got for Will Salmon, who covers the Brewers for the athletic. Well, we've talked a lot about what the future of this division holds now that the, the Cubs have clearly, as you referenced, they're kind of gone in their downward trajectory. They're going to be on the, in that tank mode for the next couple of years at a minimum. Do you feel like we're going to watch a lot of Brewers Cardinals series similar to this one over the next few years that could potentially determine the fate of the NL Central? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm not sure how I feel about the Reds. Every year I feel like, you know, they should be better than what they are. And, sometimes, you know, they kind of disappoint. <laughs> uh, but I feel like the Cardinals are the team that the Brewers have to be worried about the most. And even a couple of weeks ago, you know, when they were fighting around 500, I, I still said to myself, like, even if they don't, 
um, make the playoffs for whatever reason this year, like they could easily retool their, their team a little bit and get that much better next year. Um, and so I feel like they are the, probably the biggest competition, no question, for the Brewers going forward. And, uh, you know, I do expect the Brewers to still be there um, next year and for the, you know, the next couple of years just because the guys that we mentioned, uh, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, and Brandon Woodruff, all those guys are locked up until like 2025, 20, 2026. And that's really the foundation of their team. And then somebody like Adamas, who they acquired, um, you know, he should be their starting shortstop for years to come. He's also under team control, um, arbitration eligible, that sort of thing, but just definitely not a free agent. So um, they have some some wiggle room there for payroll, and um, they, their foundations should be intact for the foreseeable future. Will, we're looking forward to this one. We'll be looking forward to many more over the next few years. We'll be watching your coverage over at The Athletic as well. You cover the Brewers very well for The Athletic. All the best to you, and we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Thanks so much for the time today. Oh, of course. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. You got it. That's Will Salmon, Brewers beat writer for The Athletic, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Tanner, he, he mentioned uh, Willie, or Willie, Freddie Peralta, rather, uh, there and his, his issues with walks so far this season. Is that a comp for what we could see from Alex Reyes next year? If the Cardinals decided to go the route of putting Alex Reyes into the rotation, because if you look at what Peralta has done over the last few years in the big leagues. It's 29 innings last year in the shortened season. Uh, It was 85 innings in 2019. So it's not like he was getting up there in the 100-plus inning range in the big leagues. Now he's a every fifth-day starter for the Brewers. He's not going super deep into games, but he's been dominant in the innings that he's pitched. Could we see something similar next year if the Cardinals decided to put Alex Reyes into the rotation? Is that the comp for him? I, I think that's actually a really good comp, and I didn't even think of that when he brought up his name and mentioned the walks. But, yeah, I think that is because I think Reyes, as good as his stuff is, I, I do expect his walks, if he becomes a starter, to go down. But I think it would still be a little bit of a walk issue, maybe a little bit of pitch efficiency issue to where he is more of likely a five-inning, give you the best he's got in 90 to 100 pitches. To me, that seems like a pretty good comp for what Alex Reyes could be next year if he is a starter. And that's a great comp by you to kind of pick up on that. It just, it makes me wonder because, I mean, if you, it is more dramatic for Reyes. Reyes has walked 18% of the guys that he's faced this year. The worst year for Peralta as a reliever was 12.5%. So it's worse. It's more accentuated for what Reyes has been. But this year, if you look at what Peralta has been in the rotation, he's striking out just about the same number of guys as he did when he was a reliever and the walks are right around the same range as well. So it, it could end up still being an issue for Alex Reyes, but we've seen the numbers drop. Actually, we've seen Peralta be even better as a starter this season than what he was as a reliever. So I, I wonder if that could be the framework for what we'll end up seeing from Alex Reyes if, and when the Cardinals decide to use him as a starter, would that be a little bit of a disappointment to you? Or do you think that's kind of what, the Cardinals would expect. Freddie they Peralta? Well, the numbers that you're mentioning where it's five innings, maybe the walks are still an issue. Do you think that's a little bit disappointing or do you expect a little bit better from Alex Reyes with his stuff? If he's as dominant as Peralta has been this year, even if he's not, like 2.2 ERA is, is wildly effective. If he ends up being a guy that can give you a three or so ERA and is similar to, I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, what Carlos Martinez was early in his career as a starter, Yeah, I'd sign up for that today. Absolutely, I would sign up for that. And I know uh, maybe I'm just mentioning Peralta because he's the guy that we're we're about to see against the Cardinals, but 
I do think there is something to the comp of going from the bullpen to a starter after having so many issues with walks in the bullpen. I, I think it could be an interesting comp. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Why do the Cardinals seem to be overlooked nationally? We talked to a couple of Brewers analysts over the last couple hours. Both of them seem to agree the Cardinals are a legit threat in the division. Nationally, people don't view them that way. But coming up next, we'll get into some questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Here, comfort service text line for questions and answers with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex is out today. He'll be back tomorrow. Let's start with this one from the 217. Guys, do you think it would be better for the Cardinals to miss the playoffs this season so the front office doesn't get complacent in the offseason? Uh no. Missing the playoffs is never fun. And I don't think it I don't think it really matters whether they're a playoff team or not. I, I still expect the Cardinals to be not massive spenders like maybe in that shortstop market but i do expect him to spend a good chunk of that 60 million that's coming off the books i don't think i think missing the playoffs adds a little bit of urgency but i don't think a whole lot because i think they would look at it and say well we were not healthy we were missing jack flaherty and miles michaelis and that was basically what doomed us is that one month of june i i don't think missing the playoffs has a drastic change on how the front office have used the, views the offseason when i covered mizzou football gary pinkle had a a pinkleism, I guess, if you want to call it that. He used to say, we do what we do. And he would say that to so many different questions. And what he meant by that is he didn't really concern himself with the situation, with the record, with the opponent. If Mizzou did what Gary Pinkle's program should be doing, they would win games consistently. I think that's how the Cardinals operate. So whether they make the playoffs or not, John Mosellock will have an honest assessment of where the Cardinals franchise is, where their current talent level is deficient, and he will hopefully go address those areas. I don't think that's going to change significantly whether or not the Cardinals get into the postseason. Now, if they get into the playoffs and go on a run and win the World Series, which seems unlikely right now, but if that were Bring to happen... back maybe that changes some things, right? That that would change the tenor of how people feel about this team, certainly publicly, and I would imagine internally that would change their assessment of it as well. But barring something like that, which is completely unforeseen, I don't think it changes all that much, especially if it's a wild card appearance that you have and then you either get booted after one round or one game, rather, or after the NLDS. I don't think that changes a whole lot for them. Yeah, and we had Robert Murray on not too long ago, and he said the Cardinals shouldn't worry about what the Brewers are doing. They have to figure things out internally to fix fix their own problems so they can get back to where the Brewers are now. And I think that's just how the Cardinals view it, and I think that's how most major league teams view it. Maybe maybe we will be a little bit underwhelmed that they don't go spend the full 60, if not more than $60 million. But I think it will come down to they, they believe what they have coming up in the minors is going to add to what they have now and help them in the future. So, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 217. Question for you guys. What do you think is Tyler O'Neill's ceiling point in his career? That's an interesting one. Um... Gold glove defense and left field to start. I think if he stays healthy for 162, which is a real question right now, he could hit. Would it stun you if he hit 35 to 40 home runs in a single season? If he stayed healthy, he has 20 this year in 95 games. I think he could hit 
35. I, I think he could hit 35. I, I think it's more realistic. He's less than 35, about 30 to 34. And I'm talking like 100%. This is yeah. the absolute pinnacle. This is the best we ever the, see. The only reason him. I don't. Not I, consistently. The only reason I would be weary of the 35 homer kind of ceiling for him is just because he is so kind of streaky. He goes on those hot tears, then he goes on the cold tears. Sure. And granted, the cold tears this year haven't as been as. Uh, would be as uh not obvious but as don't stand out Sustained. as much as yeah don't stand out as much as they normally have in the past which is a good sign but i i think because he's so streaky i don't know if he could get to 35 home runs that's the reason i say that i think i could see him getting there um just because he hits the ball so hard so consistently if you're looking at the the advanced nerdy numbers uh he's alert. top five percent and max exit velocity and average exit velocity he has the highest hard hit rate in all of baseball so far this year his expected slugging percentage is among the top in all of baseball he still strikes out a lot he still whiffs a ton he's one of the worst at both of those things but he's an awesome defender when he makes contact he hits it as hard as anybody at his peak, I do not think that this, he's going to be a guy that perennially is hitting 35 home runs or anything like that. But I think at his peak, he's a six-hole hitter like Joey Gallo, who's going to hit you up 35-ish home runs with gold glove defense in left field. And that's somebody that you'd love to have on a legit championship contending roster. Um, but that's that's the peak for him, in my opinion. I, I'm with you there. Gold glove defense, 30, 35 homers. I don't know if he's a 100 RBI guy, maybe 80. Yeah, because I think he'll hit further down in the lineup just because of all of the strikeouts that and you I have think to deal with. About two, I'd say two sixty-five to two eighty. That'd be about what I'd put his average yeah. at in an OPS around eight hundred to eight fifty. Yeah. I, I think that's his ceiling for me, and you would take that as the Cardinals. Final thing here from the three-one-four: when KK and Michaelis are both back into the rotation, who do you think is the number five starter? So the Cardinals rotation, let's assume it's completely healthy. Who is? Who are your five starters in that rotation when they get there? So we've got, got Wayno, you got Flaherty. Wayno Flaherty. Michaelis is going to be in the Michaelis. rotation at that point. And then it's a question of for that final spot, do you go with Hap, Lester, or KK? I think right now. Or LeBlanc. I guess you've got four oh, options for one spot. How can we spot. forget about LeBlanc? It, well, LeBlanc's come out of the pin before, and that's the thing to think about is who's come out of the pin in the I past. I think I want KK coming out of the pin. I think K's, K, KK's out of the pin, too, because he's not good against a lineup multiple times. So if you bring him in, he could be three outs to nine out kind of guy for you. One I time think I'm keeping order. Hap in my rotation. I think I'm with you. The thing is, though, is I don't know if John Lester can come out of the bullpen. And that's what I wonder what you do with him. I don't think Lester makes this team's play. If the Cardinals were to make the playoffs, I don't think Lester's on the 26-man roster. I'd agree. Or the active roster. But what are, you, what are you doing with him in September? Is he just kind of a guy that's on the roster, keeps, that bullpen, keeps that bullpen I, bench warm for everybody over I think there? he's the guy that takes the the current situation that we're seeing with Daniel Ponce de Leon. I, think, I don't think Ponce has thrown since he's returned, right? I think did, he's did thrown I once. One? I think he's thrown. I could be wrong. I mean, may not have. Not gonna lie, I forgot he's on the team till I saw him in the pin one day. He has not pitched since June twenty second. Which so, yeah. I don't, I don't understand that because he could have pitched in that Royals game. But yeah, I guess you're right. I guess he could take the Ponce Leon role where you forget he's on the team. Yeah, I think Jay Happ's just been a little better for this team than um, than what we've seen so far from John Lester. So that's the route that I would go with it. it. And, and I like you. having a lefty. I'm with you. I like a lefty, and I like what Happ's done. He's done a great job of just painting his fastball i mean he throws like nothing over the heart of the plate yeah. it's all been painting and that's been the thing with lester lester's 
He's throwing strikes, but it's right down the middle, and that's why he's getting burned. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic, will join us. What in the world is going on with the wait for these Vladimir Tarasenko rumors? I have not seen anything. There's been literally nothing that's been uh, even discussed publicly, privately that we've heard of. So we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford about the latest with Vladdy Tarasenko in about 10 minutes or so. Coming up next... The Cardinals seem to be overlooked nationally. Do you like that as a Cardinals fan? 65780 is the air comfort service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We'll give our thoughts on that and hear from you coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. this organization is uh it's it's always going to be in it and this is why you know i'm here um and because we're in it and uh, we have a chance so just got to continue to fight we're playing great baseball right now and we just got to continue to do that but uh absolutely that's why i'm here i just want to continue to contribute you know that's why i'm here is to contribute to this, this great team that was Nolan Arenado over the weekend after the after the Cardinals won their sixth straight game. This one coming against the Kansas City Royals. Cardinals versus Brewers starting up tonight. A big series that could go a long way in helping the Cardinals potentially make the postseason. The Cardinals might be the most overlooked team in the sport right now. The Athletic put together their power rankings and they had the Cardinals at number 16. That feels okay to me. MajorLeagueBaseball.com wrote about four series that are taking place this week, Tanner, that could have significant implications on the playoff race. We were number one, right? I mean, this is huge. Brewers Cardinals was not listed. What the? And then maybe the worst offender. Jeff Passan, who I love. I think he's one of the best writers in the country. I think he's fantastic when it comes to his baseball analysis. He wrote about the best and the worst schedules remaining among playoff contenders. He named 16 different teams, eight of which were in the National League. The Cardinals schedule was not listed. And then he at the bottom, I was like, you got to be kidding. How are the Cardinals not even listed among these? At the bottom of his piece, he wrote, quote, here's the truth. I didn't include the Cardinals among the 16 contenders in this exercise because they're not that good of a team and they trail teams with better records, with more talent and a relative likelihood uh, to avoid the sorts of complete collapse that would allow St. Louis to get into the postseason, end quote. Wow, Jeff, way to rip the Band-Aid off. In other words, I'm going to go ahead and put Passon into the club that says that the Cardinals aren't all that good of a team and they're not making the playoffs. Fangraphs is probably with him. They gave the Cardinals about a 4% chance right now of making the uh, the postseason, or 6% rather. It's, it's gone up. Do you like this? Because the Cardinals are going overlooked right now. There have been years where the Cardinals are the big bad boogeyman, and nationally, they're the team that everybody's watching for, and then the expectations get really high. Sometimes it ends up getting too high. I kind of like the Cardinals playing the version of spoiler. I, it worked for them in the past and it feels like this is the type of team that will embrace that role, especially given the veterans that they have in the rotation right now, given who they've got at the corners of the infield. I think this young outfield is going to eat this stuff up. I like where the Cardinals are at right now in terms of the disrespect, frankly, that they're getting nationally. I know the Cardinals have not been a great team this year, but since the all-star break and really since uh, the trade deadline, They've been a pretty darn good team. They deserve a little more respect than they're getting. At least list them among contenders when they're four games back in the wild card now. 
that's not taking place. But Tanner, what do you think about this? I, I think it's a good thing, like you said, that they're kind of going under the radar because there's no, there's really no expectation nationally. Of course, here in St. Louis, our expectation is for them to make the playoffs, but they're not feeling pressure outside of St. Louis. They're not feeling the buzz around the whole country of this Cardinals team is going to be making a playoff push. It's almost as if they're just laying in the weeds, waiting to make their move. I mean, as you said, I was stunned that he wasn't even, that Passon didn't include them in his top 16 when they're four games out. They were four and a half last night when the night started. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a six game winning streak again for the Cardinals, and you're right back into the you're into the playoff picture possibly. And I don't understand what people look at in San Diego and say. That's it. That's a playoff team. I look at that rotation and I say, yep, they're going to make the playoffs. I look at that Padres team and I say they're on the brink. And granted, there is one more team in front of the Cardinals, and that's the Reds. And the Phillies are right behind them. And maybe you could argue that they are a better team than the Cardinals. But I think them laying in the weeds is the perfect thing for this team because there's not as much pressure that's going to be applied to them. They can just kind of sit back, do their thing. And then the next thing you know, we're going to be in early September and it's going to be, whoa. Where'd they come from? Whoa, they're right here. They're two <laughs> games back, even though right now it feels that way to us. 65780 is your comfort service text line. This is interesting. What Jeff Passon said can hurt your feelings, but it's the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. It's like somebody saying something negative about your kids, but in your heart of hearts, you know that it's true and you love your kids, but it hurts because you have to respect that it is the truth. Man, that guy was like speaking from experience or gal. I think the Cardinals are a slightly above average baseball team. I do not think they're a great team by any stretch of the imagination, and I would never argue otherwise. They do have some elite players, though. Jack Flaherty is a legitimately elite young pitcher. You look in the outfields right now. Tyler O'Neill is having a fantastic season, regardless of age for a player. He's having a breakout campaign um, as a left fielder. Dylan Carlson, one of the best young outfielders in the sport. You look at what you're getting this year on the corners. Nolan Arenado is has been everything you could have asked for, and then some Paul Goldschmidt has been really good of late. You've got elite-level talent on your roster. And then the back end of the bullpen, we don't have to say anything about, about what they've done so far for you. Look around the rest of the league. The Braves are not world beaters. That team's pretty talented, but they don't have Ronald Acuna right now, and they're they've got a hodgepodge of outfielders that are coming through for them. As much as I love the Brewers, and I think that's a really good baseball team, it's not like they're leaning on elite talent position player-wise. I think Christian Yelich is that, but he hasn't played like it this year. Willie Adamas has had a fantastic season. I Maybe I'm going to be proven wrong on this. Very possible. I'm not sure that I believe Willie Adamas over the next two years, maybe even over the next six months, is going to be this guy. I think that the Brewers are a very good baseball team, not great. I thought that the Padres were going to be great, and they haven't been. The Dodgers have not been nearly as good as I expected them to be in a lot of ways, and they have dealt with some huge injury issues this year. The National League as a whole is not as good as I expected it to be. So when I'm giving some of my analysis of the Cardinals, I do have to weigh a lot of that into consideration as well. I'm also looking at what the potential outlook is for these other teams, So when I say that the Cardinals are getting a little overlooked, they're getting underrated, it is in part because I think that the National League Central has gotten so far away from them. And for me, it's also because of the way that I view the rest of the NL. The NL East has nobody that's a world beater. The Cardinals would absolutely be contending for that division title this season. And the NL West is not as good as we expected it to be. So that that plays into why I'm talking about this the way that I am. Yeah, I'm with you because, like you said, there's nobody... That's really taken the net. I mean, there's two teams that have taken the National League and run with it, and that would be the Giants and the Padres. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody are 
Giants, the Brewers. Brewers. Sorry. I mean, there's really nobody else that you can really say that about. I mean, you look at the rest, like you mentioned, the NL East, and it's just this hodgepodge of three teams. And you look at all those three teams, and you go, eh, they're not, they're not that great. They're not going to be making a run. But I, I think it is going to be beneficial for the Cardinals, again, to sit kind of under the radar and just play, play your style of baseball. It's not going to be pretty. Sure, the offense, I think that's the number one thing for me, is the offense has been so inconsistent. But it may not be pretty, but it may end up getting you into the playoffs and being kind of viewed under the radar is going to be, I, I think it's been very beneficial for this team. It's kind of what we talked about with the Blues, kind of floating under the radar. We thought they weren't going to be a playoff team. And next thing you know, before we know it, they've clinched a playoff spot because everybody else just kind of fell back and they just kept playing their game and got into the playoffs with that last spot. 65780 is your comfort service text line. We've got the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Coming up in about 15 minutes, let's stay on this. Um, how do Cardinals fans feel about this? If you're a Cardinals fan that is going one way or the other, if you think that the Cardinals are getting overlooked for good reason, would love to hear from you guys today. If you think that it's unfortunate that the Cardinals are getting overlooked, would love to hear from you as well. We'll do that coming up about 15 minutes or so it's 12 6 17 your time check brought to you by clerks and jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler coming up next we're going to dive into the blues what's going on with vladdy tarasenko is he going to get traded before this team reports to camp or is he going to be out there on the ice whenever the blues report we'll ask our blues insider for the athletic jeremy rutherford next on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex out today. He'll be back tomorrow. Right now, though, we are happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He joins us via the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line. JR, we appreciate the time as always. Hope you had a good vacation last week. How you doing? Yeah, everything's good. BK, how you doing? Doing very well. So I kind of hoped and anticipated that by the time that you got back from vacation, uh, we would have some sort of news on Vladi Tarasenko. JR, is there any update whatsoever on that front? Not at the moment. And hey, you're not alone. I stayed uh, in St. Louis for the vacation last week doing some things with the family. And uh, I bet you it was once, twice a day. What's going on with Vladi? seems pretty quiet and you know, that's the way it's been. So back to work uh, yesterday and making some phone calls, trying to see if there's any update. You know, I always preface it by saying things can change quickly and, and, you know, there could be a deal at any moment, but I'm with you. Like everything seems quiet uh, right now. And it has been, which is pretty surprising on one front, uh, but not on another. I'll get to that in a moment. You know, it's surprising that we're just a month away from training camp opening and, and we're uh, just uh, you know a little over a month before they open their preseason schedule. And it seems pretty crazy to think about Vladimir Tarasenko coming back and putting the Blues uniform on after everything that's transpired this year. But where I say it's not surprising is if you look at Doug Armstrong's history, he has been nothing but uh, patient. Patience is the key word I use every time when I describe how he operates every big deal that Doug Armstrong has ever done has, has included that word. And I think when you throw in uh, what's transpired, you know, the things coming out of uh, Vladdy's camp this off season, BK, I don't think Doug's sweating it. Hey, look, you know, the, the players made his bed and I'll make a, a deal when, uh, when I see a deal fits. Do you think Vladdy would report if he was here on opening day for training camp? Yeah, the sources I talked to said he's got a contract. Uh, he he would report, and uh, you know I know there's been uh, some 
rumblings. You look at the Minnesota situation with Kaprizov, and he's potentially uh, got a deal in place to go to the KHL if it doesn't work out with the Minnesota Wild. Well, Kaprizov doesn't have an NHL contract, so he has that ability to go to uh, the KHL and play. Vladdy has has a contract. Those are recognized between the NHL and the KHL, so he could not go to the KHL according to his uh, deal that's in place here in St. Louis. What do you think is the biggest holdup right now, JR? Well, I think it continues to be the same thing it's been since day one, and that's Doug Armstrong finding the right deal. And you look, I had a piece a couple weeks ago that uh, cited a source saying that Doug's mishandled the situation, and he's he's asked for too much for Vladimir Tarasenko. And people say, well, then how did Doug mishandle it? How is that devalued uh, Vladimir Tarasenko? Well, I think from the perspective of uh, the sources, they say that uh, it's a situation where people scoff at what Doug is asking for. Then it just leads them to say, look, the three shoulder surgeries, the lack of production, you're asking too much. That player is not worth it. Uh, But I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you're going to hold firm because you have had success. Uh, just waiting. And again, uh, this is a different type of situation than we've seen. You know, Doug hasn't had a situation where he's trying to, to trade a guy like Tarasenko, you know, a star in the league who's had this type of injury history. So, you know, we're navigating this for the first time, but he's going to hold out until he gets what he thinks the Blues' uh, best uh, uh, return is. And I think that's going to be retaining as little salary cap as possible. And I think that could include, you know, bringing a player that could help the Blues back in return. And, and if that takes until September 25th when the Blues go on the ice for that first preseason game, I think he'll wait it out. I don't think that part bothers him. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Be sure to check out his work over at The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at JP Rutherford. JR, I guess a follow-up question to that would be, you know, some of the teams that we had talked so much about as being potentially interested in Vladimir Tarasenko have made moves of their own at this point. Do you feel like there are still obvious candidates of teams that could use Vladdy, or are are those starting to dwindle? Well, I still think it's that same two or three teams. uh, Maybe one or uh, two of them have fallen out. You look at a New Jersey, you know, they brought in Tatar, and so does that take them out of the running for a top six forward? Uh, perhaps it does. You know, I, I've still heard the Rangers' name is, you know, is, uh, you know, odd as that sounds because of the top six forwards they had, and they had in fact moved Pavel Buchnevich to St. Louis to kind of clear up some room in terms of their cap space, so on and so forth. I continue to hear their name, uh, but the one that makes the most sense to me is the Islanders, and and the one curveball in all this is Lou Lamorello. He keeps everything close to the vest. He's so secretive with everything he does. You know, there's speculations that he's he's got deals in place with guys like Zach Parisi and others, uh, but, you know, he's not confirming them, publicly announcing them until he wants to. He doesn't want people to know who he's bringing in or what kind of cap space he has. So, you know, potentially have there been talks between the Blues and Islanders and we could see something come to fruition whenever Lou Lamorello is, is willing to uh, announce that? You know, I suppose uh, I do think they make a lot of sense, and I have heard some speculation could it be a deal where the, the Blues also move Robert Bortuzzo and get Scott Mayfield back, the St. Louis defenseman who's playing with the Islanders right now? That's a possibility. So I've heard different types of packages, but I just think that uh, uh, there's no, no, no change in the names that we've heard in terms of Devils, Islanders, Rangers. How much does this situation, the Vladdy Tarasenko still being in St. Louis right now, 
play into the Blues' interest, or I guess maybe potentially lack thereof, of bringing in other guys? So I know we've talked a lot about Zdeno Chara as being a name that's out there right now. Uh, we we know that Tyler Bozak still out there, potentially available, whether it be for the Blues or elsewhere. How much do those kind of have to be on the back burner right now until the Blues are able to get something done with a Vladdy trade? Yeah, it's an interesting question. If you look at the Blues cap situation, they've got about $1.5 million according to uh, Cap Friendly. You take off the Santini contract because he's listed as the eighth defenseman right now. That puts them just a shade over $2 million. They still have one restricted free agent to sign. That's Robert Thomas. He's probably going to come in close to that $2 million, so that would eat up the cap space. So I think this does have an effect on a guy like Tyler Bozak. If there's mutual interest, the Blues want to bring back Bozak, and, and Bozak wants to come back. He's still unsigned. Potentially, that's what's holding up the Blues and Bozak shaking hands on a on a very short-term deal for the 35-year-old who was very productive last year. Hey, let me get the Tarasenko situation figured out. We'll see what kind of money we have, uh, Tyler, and then perhaps we can bring you in. As far as Chara, I'll have a story up on that uh, at the Athletic uh, soon, you know, probably tomorrow. Um, he has not made a decision yet. I think uh, he's leaning towards an Eastern Conference team. His family never left Boston when he left the Bruins last year and went to Washington family stayed back in Boston. So he's looking to stay as close to Boston as possible. The blues have expressed interest and, and it does appear to be mutual, but only if those teams in the East can't give uh, Chara the type of uh, situation that he's looking for. So we'll see what happens on that. But I don't think is tied to the Tarasenko situation at the moment. JR final thing for you here. Is there anything else over the next three, four weeks as we get ready for training camp that's kind of on the plate for Doug Armstrong. Is there anything else that needs to be done? I know we've talked about, you mentioned Robert Thomas, that there's still a contract that needs to be done there. Obviously, the Vladimir Tarasenko situation is number 1A on this priority list. Are there any other moves, any other deals that we should be kind of keeping an eye on? You know, you got Tarasenko 1A. Uh, obviously, that's a clear-cut 1A. And then you have Robert Thomas uh, 1B. Um, I would just you know, look out for a potential hockey trade. Maybe the Blues, uh, you know, I've heard Bortuzzo's names mentioned a couple times, uh, teams around the league, you know, I've heard from Doug Armstrong. Uh, but also, uh, you know, are the Blues going to go to camp with this group of defensemen? And if they do, they do. I think it's going to be great to see guys like Nico Mikola get a shot. We'll get to see Scott Perinovich, uh, Jake Wallman after taking a step next year. But I just wonder, I do believe that the Blues wanted to upgrade uh, this defense, and if Chara doesn't come here, are they going to make some kind of move? Because you lose Vince Dunn. Now there's a lot of experience there with a couple of guys I just mentioned. Can you play the full 82-game schedule uh, with these guys? And, of course, there's going to be injuries. And, BK, I think there's a, a lack of depth there. So it wouldn't surprise me the final four weeks before things get going if Doug Armstrong is still looking for an experienced defenseman. Are there any names that, that you uh, have in mind as you're saying that? Well, we touched on, on Chara, and, and that does seem like a long shot. Uh, you, I mentioned Scott Mayfield potentially coming back in a deal. You know, is that a swap out of uh, Robert Bortuzzo? If so, it's not really a, an ad there. So th there aren't a, a ton of names out there. But when you look at Doug Armstrong and the deals that they've made um, over the past couple of years, you know, they come out of the, the blue a little bit uh, with uh, Braden Shen. Nobody was really talking about the Blues going out and getting him. Justin Falk, although we knew that he was available, 
you know, not a lot of people talked about him being a candidate for St. Louis. So, you know, perhaps there's a trade out there that he's got his eye on that, uh, you know, just hasn't happened yet for whatever reasons. It's always interesting with Doug Armstrong involved. Jr. Hey, we always appreciate the time, man. We look forward to getting you back on weekly as we get closer and closer to the NHL season. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. I'll talk with you again next week. Yep, thanks, BK. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford, joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting, Vladdy Tarasenko, basically, or not him, but that deal is the key to what the Blues are able to do the rest of the offseason. If they can move his salary off of the books, suddenly bringing back a guy like Tyler Bozak becomes much more realistic. You got the Robert Thomas contract that could get done very quickly right thereafter. Maybe there is a deal that could include Robert Bortuzzo in it and you get Scott Mayfield back. And now you've also improved the back end of your blue line. Like everything centers around when and how do you get the Vladdy Tarasenko deal done? And the other thing, man, is as, as JR just said, You've got $1.5 million, but if you correct it for the defenseman, you got about $2.5 million right now to work with. If you don't trade Vladimir Tarasenko, then what you have right now on the roster is all you can do. There are no other moves that you're able to make because you're right up against the salary cap whenever you do sign Robert Thomas. I just don't believe that this team will go into the season like that. Maybe JR's right, and they could go into training camp with Vladdy still on the roster. I refuse to believe that on opening night when this team is actually playing meaningful games against the Colorado Avalanche on October 16th, I refuse to believe that Vladimir Tarasenko will be taking the ice with this team. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I, I think you still have to upgrade the defensive core. And that is being held up, as you said, kind of by the, this Vladdy deal. Because although they added offensive help in Saad and Bujnevich, to me, that's the same blue line that you had last year that struggled to clear guys out in front of the net. And I... To me, you're going to be a little bit better, but you're not going to be a whole lot better if you don't add somebody to that defensive core. And I'm not saying go out and get a super a superstar defenseman in a deal for Vladdy. Just add a big body that can help you out. And I, I'm with you. I, I would be shocked if he's on the ice for the opening night against the Colorado Avalanche. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. Coming up next, though, we wanted to hear from you. The 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Do you like the fact that the Cardinals appear to be overlooked nationally? Some of that is deserved. Some of it, I would say, less so. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Cardinals being overlooked nationally and some of this is completely understandable they're 10 games out of the division race they have not played particularly good baseball for the majority of the season and if we're looking at this from the outside perspective as we've mentioned a million times they've really gotten back into this thing because they beat up on bad teams Kansas City and Pittsburgh in particular so I could understand why somebody nationally looks at it and they look at what the Cardinals rotation is with Lester and Hap and these old guys that have kind of uh, been good for them very briefly and they say to themselves okay this is a fluke they're going to go right back down to around the 500 mark as they start playing better opponents I get that completely I do think that there's been some tangible changes though it's not just that they're playing bad teams Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt 
look like Nolan Arenado and Goldie right now. You're seeing a, a resurgence from Tyler O'Neill. Dylan Carlson, before he got hurt, was playing very well so far in the month of August. Edmundo Sosa has kind of recaptured the form that he took on when he first started getting opportunities as the Cardinals starting shortstop. All of these things are very real and very tangible, and they've been significant changes in the way that the Cardinals have played over the last two weeks or so. So do you like the fact that the Cardinals are overlooked right now? Because if they go on a little bit of a run, I think that's always the best way to do it. I think those are always the most fun runs to go on. It was when nationally you can kind of pit locally versus the national analyst because they don't believe in you, right? It's the us against the world mentality. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line and the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. I asked you guys, do you like this version of the way that the Cardinals are going to go down the stretch? Let's start out with John via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. PK, here's the thing. St. Louis fans have been blessed to have people like you and Alex, Tanner, your Thanks, show, John. the way you talk and and present information to us. Who cares what the national media thinks? You guys are better than them. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, John. Take that, national media. Okay. Uh, do we really have um, to listen to any more mic drops? I don't know if they're going to get much better than that one. You know what? I think that was the mic drop, actually. Yeah. We, we could just go ahead and uh, we could finish the show here. We're an hour early. Uh, we'll just play ads for the next hour yeah. and a half. I'm yeah. sure nobody will mind. Um, we'll, we'll just do that. We'll just be done, and that'll be it for the show today. Uh, first of all, thank you, John. That's very kind of you to say. I get it. If you're, if you're a Cardinals fan right now and you're saying, you know what? Bleep them. Bleep the national media. I, I really do understand that perspective, but... I always like hearing their um, how they feel about your local team because they're not around it every day. We are so dug into the minutia sometimes that we we don't see the tree through the forest. And I don't want to lose sight of where we're at. So I, I like hearing from them, and I think it's, it's interesting to hear. Let's go out back out to the Rhino Shield Mike Draft future. Let's hear from Elgin. I mean, I'm not surprised that the Cardinals are overlooked and underrated. They've been mediocre to bad all season, uh, inconsistent all season. So for them to be looked over is is just it's about right. Just because they haven't they haven't lived up to the expectations that the fans have. So if they're not living up to our expectations, why would you? Why would we think that the national coverage would be better? Here's a question for you, uh, Tanner. Have the Cardinals lived up to your expectations this year? No. Like individually speaking, not don't don't look at the record, but when you look up and down the numbers for a lot of the guys that we've seen in the lineup, have, have most of those guys lived up to your expectations? Uh, I would say yes. I so catching Yachty, I'd say about what I expected. Paul Goldschmidt's been Goldie's been a little disappointed, but he's sure. getting back to that level. Tommy Edmonds been a little disappointing. DeYoung's been disappointing. Arnado's been just about as what I expected. O'Neill's exceeded my expectations. Bader, I'm still riding the fence on what I'm. I think he's I think sitting about what, what we thought. This is about what we thought. Carlson's about where I thought he was going to be. I didn't think he was going to take the world by storm. And then so, pitching wise, when healthy. Pitching wise, basically been what you expect, right? I'd say so. KK was a little disappointing, but I think he's been hurt pretty much all year. I also think it was reasonable to expect a lot of what we've seen. Doesn't go through the yeah. third time. Like, I think it's fair to Carlos was completely up and down, which is probably what we should have expected this year. 
It's interesting because in a weird way, the Cardinals got to the place that we thought they would be a little bit over 500 right in the race up until the end. They just went about it in a way that was strange because of the injuries to the rotation and because they were such a limited roster early on in the season, they did not have depth. And so it was going it was always going to take if they hit some injury bad luck, it was going to take Mo making some of those Cardinals devil magic types of moves. It was going to take that. And they finally got there. It took a long time, and you can be uh, you can be critical of how long it took them to get there, and I totally get that. But the Cardinals kind of ended up getting to the place that we thought that they would be. It I, just took a strange route to get there. I, I do want to say this, though. Uh, though we say individually that they have exceeded our expectations, kind of especially offensively, a lot of guys we've talked about are either at expectations or have exceeded. We haven't seen it kind of combine at one time to where it's like because I, I think if For you sure. look at the team's record overall I think that my expectation was they would be a little bit better than five games above 500 at this point and I think part of that is just because it hasn't clicked at the same time sure these guys are exceeding expectations or meeting my expectations but if it doesn't click at the same time in my opinion it's great that they're playing well individually but I need to see it click as a whole team and, I, and that's kind of where I am is yeah offensively everybody's kind of been where I thought but as a team, it just hasn't clicked, and that's where my expectations have kind of differed. Uh, real quick, do you want to have an update on the lineup is out? I, we're not going to play the lineup game. We're not going to okay. steal it from them. You want to know who's a shortstop? Um, can I guess? Yeah. I'm going to guess that it's Paul DeYoung. I, I'm going to disagree with it, but I'm going to guess it's Paul DeYoung. You're wrong. Really? And Mundo Sosa is batting eighth tonight, starting at shortstop. Is Dylan Carlson playing tonight? Dylan Carlson is in the lineup leading off in right field. Okay, so you got Carlson, Goldie, Arenado. O'Neal. We're not supposed to play the lineup game. They're not listening. It's fine. Um, Yachty? Yachty's in the lineup tonight. Yep, hitting fifth. Okay, so you're back to your normal it, lineup. It's at this your point. normal lineup. The only difference is, is we don't see Paul DeYoung, and I wonder if it's because it's a back, his back's still bothering him, or if it's they're saying that this is our best lineup to beat the Brewers. I think the back is a good excuse to not have him out there. Um, I, I would imagine their their way that they'll spin this is, hey, DeYoung's fine. We just want to make sure he's a hundred percent whenever he gets back. This has been something that's bothering him throughout the season. We want to make sure whenever he returns to the lineup, he's going to be back to being. 100% Paul DeYoung, and we don't want to rush it. And we th- feel like right now we're getting good offense, good defense out of Edmundo Sosa, so there's no reason to rush him back into the lineup. That's my guess is the way they'll spin it. But real answer is Edmundo Sosa has been better of late, so we're going to go with Edmundo Sosa. Yeah, Paul DeYoung was doing bench presses earlier today. His back's fine. <laughs> was he? I don't know. I'm just assuming. <laughs> I like, I, and that's is the there way. a video out there? No, but I would assume that's the case. As Paul DeYoung's been in the weight room trying to prove he's okay, and then Schilt's going to speak to the media. Yeah, you know the back. It's not 100%. What? Let's do one more Rhino Shield mic drop coming in from Dominic. You know, I like the fact that the Cardinals are being overlooked. I think it adds a, a bit of, I don't know, um, needed fire, needed motivation for this team. You know, they're going into this three-game set against Milwaukee. You know, the the top team in the central they're on the power rankings at like five and everyone's like oh milwaukee the big three woodruff burns and freddie peralta you know no one can beat them and the cardinals are saying just you wait just you watch you've overlooked us for most of the season and deservedly so but we're not down we're not out until we're out I think there's a there's a text that pairs along well with this from the 618. Guys, the Cardinals are close to what we expected, but nobody thought the Brewers would be as good as they have been. I think that's what changed. What changed for the Cardinals this year and why we feel like it's been a disappointing season, at least from my perspective, I can't speak for the listeners, 
what's changed is that the Brewers have gone on to have this magical ride in 2021. If the Cardinals were in the NL East, I think we would be viewing their season completely differently than we are with them trying to chase the Brewers within the division. If the Brewers were the team that I thought they would be, I think we'd be looking at this completely differently as well. If you had the Cardinals three games back instead of 10 in the division, I think we'd all be sitting here today and saying to ourselves, man, this is an awesome series. Can't wait to watch the Cardinals versus the Brewers. Yeah, it's been up and down this season, but the Cardinals are right in this thing. And if they're able to get this going against the Brewers, man, this could be a special finish to the season. Instead, it's a little bit more tempered expectations because of how far back you are in the division, which is totally understandable. But I think the Brewers having a great year plays into our disappointment as much as what we've actually seen from the Cardinals this season. Yeah, I think we kind of expected the Cardinals to be where the Reds are right now, and that is 10 games above 500. And then you kind of expected that that would probably be leading the National League Central because we kind of expected, I thought the Brewers had a good team. I didn't think, like I was like with you, I didn't think they'd be this good. I thought they would be a team that would sit kind of like the Cardinals around that 500 mark their pitching would be fine offensively we'd see if they'd get going and they've just exceeded the expectation so bad but I, I think the I think our expectation was the Cardinals would be about 10 games above 500 at this point and the Brewers would be the five games above 500 rather than kind of reverse he's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll talk about the Colton Wong decision from the offseason how much did that hurt the Cardinals this season we'll talk about that in 15 minutes but coming up next time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN this is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line from the three one four. You two asshats just ruined the lineup game for everybody. You have Whoa. no respect for your coworkers. Don't have to call people asshats. Come on, we're assets. I appreciate that the fast lane has cultivated something that has become a bit of a cult following. I really do, sincerely. It's amazing what they have done with the lineup game. Guys, it's news. Dylan Carlson being in the lineup is news, and so I had to pass that along to you. I apologize if I ruined the lineup game for you today. I apologize. Whoever was starting at shortstop was pretty big news, too. Let's be honest. I apologize for ruining that for you. I promise you the fast lane will still play the lineup game today. They will still mess it up somehow. And uh, we'll move forward. We, we can do this together. I apologize. I promise you it is not due to a lack of respect. For now on, <laughs> for now on when we get Cardinals news, we're not even going to react to it. They could put DeYoung on the aisle in the next five minutes. We're not going to talk about it, guys. No, 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 no. We'll we we'll we already upset. ruined it, so now we can talk about it. Oh. All right, let's dive into the junk drawer. We'll talk about Colton Wong and the decision that I think hurt the Cardinals coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, Tanner, do you believe that there is any event, any event whatsoever in the Olympics that you could compete in? Yes. And take a gold medal home oh. as a result? Oh. Um, speed walking, I could compete in. I don't know if I could get gold. I'm trying to think what else. I, I think I'm a pretty good ping pong player. I don't know if I'd get gold. I could compete in <laughs> Have that. Have you watched those guys? Yeah. Ping pong's not... Th- I don't want to say it's not that difficult, but when you play tennis, ping pong's not as hard as it Have you appear. watched the way that they play ping yeah. pong, though? Yeah. You could react that quickly. Yeah. No chance. No I, chance. I'm offended by that comment. No zero chance. Zero. I think you discount. You would get destroyed. No shot. 
you would not score a point oh, if you no played way. ping pong against one of the guys that is in the Olympics. I definitely get at least a point. No chance. Yes. Playing tennis, I, I have I quick be- reactions. I cannot believe. Tanner, God bless you. I love you, man. You're you, you're a fantastic you know, I'm producer. Not, I'm not feeling that love right now. If you played ping pong against one of these guys, first of all, you were a tennis player in college, right? Yes, sir. Were you an elite level tennis player? Finally. I think I was elite for the Juco level. I... I'm just going to say I'm not sure that your level of tennis qualifications are quite to that of Olympian uh, are you, are standards. Are you kidding me? When, when you get to ping pong, it's like five <laughs> times better. I than... can't believe you believe this. Oh, for sure. Put me up against someone. Give me the guy that was competed for Team USA. We have to find a way to to put something like this together. We gotta Let's find, do it. We got to find whoever the best ping pong player is. You know what? We should set up a tournament the best ping pong player in, in the, the city of St. Louis oh. and have them compete in the final boss of this match. And it's me. Will be you. I like the it. The final boss for whoever gets through the gauntlet. Spoil another fast lane segment. Whoever Wait, gets through the next? gauntlet of this tournament, they've got to go one-on-one against Tanner Hendrickson in the finale. Wait, I'm gonna we could to... do this. We could do this at uh Westport social. There we go. This I'm going to great. start practicing because I haven't played in a while. This is incredible. All right. Well, you think that you could compete in ping pong, which is absolutely absurd. My answer is there's zero chance I would take home a gold in Come any on. event. Zero Not chance. Not even speed walking? No chance. In a recent survey, a 1,000 U.S. residents, 40% of those 1,000 residents believe that they could compete in at least one summer or winter Olympic sport at the Olympics. 40%. Wow. That's impressive. And this is 60% of men believe that they could compete in something in the summer or winter Olympics. What are we doing here? These men and women that go over to the Olympics and compete have dedicated their entire lives to whatever it is that they are doing. And we believe that with like two weeks of heads up, yeah, I could go over there and for Tanner compete in ping pong at the highest of levels against the best in the world. 60% 60% of men? What kind of nonsensical hubris is that? That's absurd. I'm trying to think if there's a winter sport I could do. I don't think there is because I can't snowboard to save my life. Can't skate. I don't know if there is a winter There's one. an Olympic ping pong player in St. Louis. Is that true? Is that a fact? Oh, we could dominate curling. That's a good point. No, you couldn't. Well, I, I would not be the brush guy. I would push it. Curl. These men and women that are you, over there for curling. You should see my form when I dedicate throw a, their entire lives to this. Their entire lives. Did you see us? Not you. Our show, me and Alex Ferrario, when we tried to do a home run derby. Yeah, well, that's different. That and that we was went a, to Westport Social an and we played ping effort. pong, and our salespeople made fun of us. Our salespeople. Wow. First of all, very rude. Didn't appreciate that. However. We're not exactly the greatest of athletes here on this very show. Somebody said Tanner could curl as well. Exactly. I would, you know, curling is very difficult. I would actually love to play because I enjoy watching curling. I would love to try it. If there's a place to go play curling, I am in. Somebody said, BK, stop it. This is why I don't listen to your show very often. You're so mean to Tanner. Yeah, thank you, text line. Tanner's over here saying he could win a gold medal in ping pong in the Olympics. 
to, we don't have to, you don't have to believe I'm going to win, but why don't you be encouraging? Yeah, I just felt like you were the father that I'm like, Dad, I want to grow up and be a professional athlete. Yeah, you don't stand a chance. You're not going to make it. I, work on something else. Do something different. You're not Have a an backup athlete. plan would be my statement to my child. Have a backup plan. Maybe you could be a well, professional even, athlete. I but didn't even my... get that kind of statement from you. You're just like, there's no shot. You can't beat anybody. You can't even get a point. You realize they could miss the table. You know how small the table is? I didn't say I had to smoke them with a the forehand to win it. 65780 is your comfort service text line. I would love to take an informal poll among our listeners right now. Guess there's a St. Louis curling club. Oh, I am so getting in on that. Oh, we got to find a way to get over there. Yeah, I that that would be a lot of fun. We could do a sh- show trip out there. We could involve some listeners to a tournament. We got to do that this winter. Um, I would love to hear from our listeners. Do you believe that Tanner could actually win a gold medal in ping pong? Do you believe this? For wait, a wait. Second? Are we by? Okay, gold medal or just okay. beat somebody? Because you you've changed it on me. I I think. I could Do compete. you believe that Tanner could win a match, a match against any of the individuals that competed in the Olympics in ping pong? Or at least a point. BK yes won't even no. give me a point. No chance. Come on. I'm pretty confident I could get a point. Now, if we we're going against a professional tennis player, no shot. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text slide coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll play a game of bet it or forget it. But coming up next, how much did the Colton Wong decision hurt the Cardinals for 2021? I think a lot more than we expected it to. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. He's been on the IL three times this year, all, all with um, you know lesser injuries, but still has kept them out of the lineup. And they've missed him every time he's been out. And he really does a good job in that leadoff spot. And quite often on the days that they have a good offensive game, he's right in the middle of it, or more specifically, right at the top of it. He uh, he hits some home runs in the, in the open games too, so he gives you that that bolts right out of the shoot and. But, you know, and, and you guys know what kind of defense he can play. They are, they're so much better up the middle with him at second, at Donaldson Short, Lorenzo Kane, or Jackie Bradley Jr. in center. That was Tom Hodricourt earlier today on Carriker and Smallman talking about what Colton Wong means to the Brewers so far this season. He has had an up and down season when it comes to the injuries. That's something that we have talked about a lot. He's played in just 78 games for the Brewers this year, but. When he's been out there, he's had his most productive season offensively at the plate. He's batting 280. He's getting on base about 34% of the time, which is right around his career average. And he's hitting for a little bit more pop this season than he had in, in years past. He's in total at a 785 OPS. If you're looking at the Cardinals right now and you're wondering how would that match up with what the Cardinals have done, his batting average would rank best on the Cardinals. His on-base percentage would be fourth best on the Cardinals behind only Goldschmidt, Carlson, and Tyler O'Neill. I was curious, 65780 is your comfort service X line. How much do you think the Colton Wong decision, when you look back on that now, how much did that play into the Cardinals' struggles at times this season? Because I mentioned it whenever it was done. I didn't love the move. I thought it was a mistake for the Cardinals to let Colton Wong walk. He was your clear answer as a leadoff hitter, and I think that's been an issue for the Cardinals this season. They don't have a defined, obvious uh, leadoff hitter. He also allows Tommy Edmond 
to be a utility guy where he can fill in for you in the outfield or at second base if Colton Wong's hurt the way he has been for much of this season or even at shortstop at times third he can play all over the diamond I think when you look back if the Cardinals could have a do-over on this they would have brought Colton Wong back on that I think it was a 12 and a half million dollar team option that they had on him I think this was a money decision Coming off of last year, they did not want to add salary to the payroll. They wanted to cut salary, in fact, from the payroll. And that's what they decided to do. But if you're looking at it purely from a competitive standpoint, the Cardinals not bringing back Colton Wong, I think, was probably the single biggest mistake, even more so than not adding pitching depth, that they made this offseason. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you because all, all the things you mentioned, he is the he would be the leadoff guy for you. That was one of the biggest question marks heading into this season after Colton Wong walked, was who's the leadoff guy? They thought Tommy Edmond would take that step. And Tommy Edmond, he has, he's been okay, but he hasn't been a leadoff guy. He doesn't get on base enough. And then Dylan Carlson's kind of starting to take that role now, but it, it's taking us all the way to mid-August to find out that he could be a leadoff guy. So that kind of goes into, like you mentioned, the struggles beforehand. Defensively, I don't think they've taken a step back because I think Tommy Edmonds really good defensively at second base. But I think the biggest thing, though, is that it would have allowed him to be that utility guy, as you mentioned. And that's why I'm with you. I, I think if the Cardinals could do a do-over, I, I think they would have brought back Colton Wong because I think it would just kind of help everything kind of mesh together a lot better than it did. And when the outfield got hurt, when Bader was hurt and O'Neal was hurt and he had to move Carlson to center, you move Edmond to right, you don't have to... You would have moved Edmund right if you had Wong, but you don't have to play Matt Carpenter. And that, to me, that's another thing to keep in mind, too. It would have eliminated one of the really non-competitive at-bats, the guys that they had earlier this season in that outfield mix. It would have eliminated them from the situation. Like, Justin Williams at times was just a non-competitive at-bat for the Cardinals. Lane Thomas had plenty of his struggles. Austin Dean wasn't great. And then you had some of the infielders that they were filtering through that got extended periods of time as a result of that as well. I think it just would have made a lot of that a lot. It would have coalesced a lot easier for the Cardinals. We got this text from the 314. Hey, BK, Milwaukee is a hitter's park. Wong's numbers are a tick above his career average. Do you believe that that explains it? Not really. Surprisingly enough, Colton Wong's actually been much better on the road this year than he has been at home at Miller Park. He has a 706 OPS at home, and he has an 852 OPS on the road this season. So it's not really about where he's hitting. It's just that he's been a pretty productive hitter overall for them. So I I think that he would have been that in St. Louis. I think we saw him kind of like what we're watching this year from Tyler O'Neill. I think Colton Wong in 2019 became a fully formed version of what he was going to be as a big leaguer. I think that's when he realized, okay, this on-base stuff, that's that's what I've got to center my entire game around. I've got to take more walks. I can't sell out for the extra base hits the way that I did earlier in my career. The strikeouts have to go down a little bit. I think we saw that kind of all come together for him in 2019, especially down the stretch, and he was a big part of why the Cardinals went on that run. And I think we saw that continue over the last three seasons now. He's become basically that same player. He's super consistent over the last few years. So I think he would have been a huge help for them. And I think it eliminated, if you if you had Colton Wong at the top of your order and you go into the season with Wong at the top, Carlson batting second for you probably, Goldie three, Arenado four, and then you've got Tyler O'Neill five, now you're talking. And now Tommy Edmond might even be batting sixth for you or seventh for you in this lineup. That's when you've got a legit championship lineup. And this is why going into next offseason, we're talking about where you can upgrade. 
whether it be at second base or at shortstop, that those middle infield spots, those are the most likely places where I think that could come. Yeah, you got to upgrade. To me, that's going to be the number one spot. The upgrade is somewhere in that middle infield, whether it is short or second. And it's going to, to me, it has to be unless you're going for the big name shortstops, you need to get a guy that's an on base guy because I, though Carlson's done a pretty good job and he's got a pretty good on base percentage, and so does Tyler O'Neill. I don't view those guys as leadoff hitters. I view those guys as O'Neill, a power hitter that hits fifth or sixth in a quality lineup. And Dylan Carlson as a guy that hits second, that's more of a doubles guy. And he probably he's okay as a leadoff guy, but I want someone that's got a little bit more speed than Dylan Carlson, more contact hitter, kind of Colton Wong-ish. That's why I think you look for a leadoff guy in the offseason if you can find it, because I don't want to go into the season and have Carlson as the leadoff hitter. Even though he's been fine at it, I would like to see someone else at the leadoff spot. Tanner, do you mind if I nerd out for a minute college football-wise? Whoa, okay. There's Go some breaking news that just came out. Wait, wait, is it Carnal? It's not Carnal's really, right? Because we're no. not supposed to share that. Nope, nope, okay. nope. It's uh, it's college football related, and it relates back to Mizzou. Uh, Luther Burden Ooh. is a top ten prospect in the country. He's from St. Louis. There is a, a local tie-in here. He goes to East St. Louis, or he's going to this fall. He transferred out there uh, going into this fall. He's the number one wide receiver in the country. He had been committed to Oklahoma since for almost a year now, since October of last season. He just announced via Twitter that he has decided to decommit from the University of Oklahoma. He said, first, I would like to thank the entire Oklahoma coaching staff for giving me an opportunity to be a part of the Sooner family, family, but after long conversations with my family, I have decided to decommit from the University of Oklahoma. He added, respect my decision. It's a business move. Not going to touch that one. Um, Hmm. Luther Burden has visited the University of Missouri like five times this offseason. Again, he's a top 10 recruit in the country. If Eli Drinkwitz is able to pull this off and he's able to get one of the top 10 recruits in the country to come to Missouri, this is this is the closest thing that Missouri's had to a DGB level commit since Doriel Greenbeckham. Luther Burden is a superstar talent. Eli Drinkwitz is doing big time things at Mizzou. This would be the single most impactful um, in terms of the excitement that's building at Mizzou impactful move that has been made since he arrived on campus. And they've had a lot of big things that have taken place over the last year and a half, two years now since uh, Eli Drinkwitz arrived on campus. This is big time news. If you're a college football fan, especially locally, Luther Burden has officially announced he's decommitted from the University of Oklahoma, a five star receiver out of the St. Louis area, goes to East St. Louis. And all indications seem to be pointing towards uh, Mizzou's the, potentially the favorite here to be able to land a commit from Luther Burden uh, at some point before National Signing Day. So and, potentially huge, huge, huge news. Am I wrong or did Eli Drinkwitz not tweet out just a day or two ago? It's uh, what was it? Flipping season or something yeah, like he, that? Yeah, they ended up getting a commit that ha- or a guy that had been committed to Virginia Tech. Um, but they're they're not afraid. He is not afraid to offer kids that have already now, let's think committed elsewhere. I, I'm getting a little tinfoil here. Okay. Do, do you think he was really doing the flipping season for the Virginia Tech guy? Or because he knows he's got this one in the works? I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> which one's a bigger deal? Um, it would have... 
that was definitely about the kid that came from Virginia Tech. However, however, uh, this is a big one, man. If you're a Mizzou fan, it's it's time to get cautiously optimistic because we're always wondering uh, when the other shoe is going to drop. Maybe he ends up at Georgia or Alabama or something like that. It's possible. But it seems to me that the the likelihood here is that things are pointing in the direction of the University of Missouri. So um, pretty, pretty big day if you're a Tigers fan. All right. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line coming up in about 15 minutes or so. How the Cardinal schedule can be both seen as a blessing and a curse. We'll do that in 15 minutes. But coming up next time for a game of bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. it just doesn't feel quite the same without alex singing right there oh woo, woo, woo. <laughs> bet it or forget it nolan gorman matthew liberator and jordan walker will all be on the roster for the cardinals when they win their 12th championship liberator walker who's the other one gorman gorman liberator gorman walker i will let's see walker's probably three years away I'll forget it. I think they will win one before Walker. They have a chance. I won't Listen say they will. Listen to you getting excited. I, I will say that they have a chance to win one before Walker gets called up. I, I think that they're going to spend the $60 million coming off the books, trying to improve this team. Libertor's coming up. Thompson's coming up. Gorman, I think, is going to be a stud. So, I, along with Carlson hitting his prime, Arnado Goldie, I mean, you're talking about a potential solid offense. And O'Neal, impactful there, too. I think there's a chance that they could win it before they have to call up Jordan Walker. I'm not going to say they will, but I'll say there's a chance. So I'll say bet it. Bet it or forget it, I guess. I'm going to forget it as well. I think the Cardinals are, are closer than a lot of people believe as we've talked about a million different times. And if they make a big move this offseason, I think they're going to be right there. And you're right, Tanner. Jordan Walker still a, a while away. We're very excited about what his future could potentially hold here in St. Louis, but he is still incredibly young. He's in high A ball. It's going to take a minute before he's not only on the roster, but an impact player on the roster. So I'm going to, I'm going to forget it. I think the Cardinals will have a chance at least to win a championship before Jordan Walker ends up in the big leagues. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it. The Padres will not win a championship with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Those two, while they're on the roster, will not win a championship together. How much longer has Machado got? He's got what? Probably seven years still. Let me check. He signed a 10-year deal worth $300 million. He's in year three, three of it. So, yeah, seven years remaining left on his deal. I'll forget that. I, I think they'll win a championship with both him and Tatis on the roster. Now, they're going to start running out of time with Manchado in his prime before that contract starts to hurt. But both those guys are really good. And I, I like the addition of Cronenworth to that. Or they got Cronenworth on the team. I like the addition of, who was it, Frazier? Is that who I'm thinking of from the Pirates? Mm-hmm. That sounds Adam. Right. Yeah. I like that addition. He's under club control. I still think their pitching should be better. I don't know what's gone wrong with Blake Snell. You Darvish is still really good. And their GM's super aggressive. I still expect him to make big moves this offseason. So I will forget that. I think they'll win a World Series before one of those guys is off the roster. We talk about the Cardinals injury bug. Man, the, the Padres injury bug that hit them this year is I mean, it, crippling, completely crippling. You Darvish, Chris Paddock, and Denelson Lamette are all on the injured list right now. 
that was three of your top five starters at a minimum going into this season. So they they've been crippled by that. And the result is what we're watching right now. They can't pitch. They just don't have the starting pitching that you would expect out of them. So um, I, I think they're going to be back. I have every expectation that, as you said, they'll be aggressive going into the offseason. If things don't end up going according to plan down the stretch, they will not do what the Cardinals did last year where they're like, ah, we had some injuries. We're going to be fine going into next year. They're they're going to find some way to patch that thing up. So I will forget it. I think that they will win a championship with that as the core. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 217. Better to forget it. Albert Pujols will still wear the birds on the bat at some point before he retires. I, I saw Ben Fred wrote a story about this again the other day. Um, he has crushed, absolutely crushed lefties since joining the uh He's been the really Dodgers. good with the Dodgers. He's batting 300 with a 935 OPS against left-handed pitching since joining the Dodgers, and he's done that in 125 plate appearances. It's not a small sample size anymore. You know what, hell, I'll bet it. Why not? I mean, he would be a perfect guy to platoon at DH. Or, or as a pinch hitter coming off of the bench. Hitter. Yeah, against left-handed pitching, he makes a ton of sense. You said it earlier this year that he made sense then. I was less willing to give him a spot because I thought he was kind of uh, imagine if he was up kind of. Now, Rondon has come up with some big hits lately, but imagine if instead of Rondon on this roster right now, you had Albert Pools for those big-time moments down the stretch. It, it, be significant. It would be significant. And not only does it make some sense baseball-wise, just think of the marketing you can do. Next year, if Wainwright comes back, it's going to be Wayno's final year. It could be Yachty's final year. And then you add in the final guy that I believe is still playing from the 016, because I think it's just those three, if I'm not mistaken then that that's a great story to have retire in St. Louis. The problem is, is you have to balance contending and also willingness to go give a 40-year-old DH who can't play any other position a million-some dollars. So uh, I'll bet it. I think that they will have interest this offseason and could bring him back. I thought that he would be a Cardinal before the end of the year. I just didn't know he was going to dominate left-handed pitching this way. Even I am surprised by how well he's been he's done against lefties. Man, he has 10 home runs. In 115 at-bats against left-handed pitching this season. It's amazing. Um, I, I'm i going to go ahead and bet it. I'm, I'm less confident in that now than I was before he joined the Dodgers because I thought he would kind of middle, that he would be solid for the Dodgers. He's going to have some suitors. Like there will be multiple teams that are interested in Albert as a first base DH platoon bat going into this offseason. A team like the Giants, given the way that they construct their roster, he makes a ton of sense for them. Uh, so I I would not be surprised at all if Albert's a guy that ends up getting more attention than we expected going into this offseason for a 41-year-old bat. How crazy is it that him and Nelson Cruz are both going to hit the market this offseason as 40-plus-year-old players, and both will have legit markets. It's incredible. And it's going to be even better because next year, for them, it's going to be better. Not so much for me. There's going to be a DH in the National League. Yep. And Because that's what makes it tough for Pujols and Cruz is you only had 15 teams vying for him. Next year, you're going to have everybody looking at those guys as potential DH bats. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We talked a little college football a minute ago. The college football top 25 the ap top 25 is out alabama oklahoma clemson ohio state and georgia 
We've seen a lot of those teams over the last few years. That is your top five. Bama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia. Better to forget it, Tanner. One of those five teams win the, wins the national championship this year. I'll bet that. I don't think it's going to be Clemson. Uh, Oklahoma. I'm not sold on. What is it? Rattler? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rattler. I'm not sold on him, so I'm not going to say Oklahoma. Who is four again? Uh, Ohio State is four State. going into the season. I think Bama's the favorite. I mean, well, yeah. Why? <laughs> I'll, I'll bet it because I I don't want to bet against Saban. I'll, I'll take that Alabama wins this whole thing. I'm going to bet it as well. It's the overwhelming favorite that one of these five is. And when I saw this yesterday, Tanner, got me excited for the college football season. Don't get me wrong. It got me more excited about when we're going to have that 12-team playoff. Because these are the teams that we see every year. I'm getting kind of tired of it, to be honest with you. It's just kind of dull. It should be. I I get that completely. And if you look at the betting odds right now, so over on FanDuel Sportsbook, Bama is two and a half to one to win the championship. There are games where like Missouri is going to be a two and a half to one underdog in that individual game. Bama's two and a half to one to win the championship at the end of the year. Clemson's four to one, Georgia five to one, Ohio State six to one, and Oklahoma eight to one. After that massive drop off, Iowa State has the next best odds at 25 to one. And then after that, it's Texas AM at 40 to one, along with Florida at 40 to one. It's basically those five teams and then everybody else in college football right now. And there's a reason for it. Those are the five best recruiting teams in the country. They have all of the talent. They've all got very good coaches right now as well. Everything's going in that direction. So um, I'm very excited about what we're going to see from those uh, the, the new college football playoff moving forward. I can't even get excited sometimes when Alabama plays another top 25 team. Like they're playing, I, I'll use Tennessee's not going to be a top 25 team this year, but like if they play Tennessee and they're 25th in the country, I go, eh, you know, maybe it'll be a competitive first half, but let's be honest, they'll wipe the floor with them. It, it, it's just getting kind of dull for me. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Uh, let's go with this one from the 314. Bet it or forget it. John Nagowski will not hit another home run in his major league career. Wow, now that's a depressing bet it or forget it. Damn, man. I'll bet it. I, you can't make the Pirates. I'm not sure you can make a major league team. I, I think John Nagowski's time in the majors is up, which is sad to say. Man, he had such a good start for them. He was awesome at the beginning of his tenure with the Pirates. And then he forgot to hit. Yeah, he did, it didn't go well for him there for a while. I think he gets one more chance. So I'm going to go ahead and forget this. I think John Nagowski will get another shot in the bigs, and I think he will uh, he'll hit a homer while he's up in the big he, leagues whenever he comes back. You know who he's going to go to? Probably the Cubs. That actually makes some sense. Go get a first baseman, see yeah. what he can do, and then he'll homer against the Cardinals. It'll probably be one that walks it off, and then that's the game we look back on down the stretch and go, the Nog father beat the Cardinals, and the Cardinals missed out on the playoffs by Stop a game. it. All right, last thing before we move on here. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Better to forget it. The Cardinals will win two out of three against the Milwaukee Brewers. I'll bet it. I'm feeling really Look good. Look you feeling optimistic I about am. the Cardinals. Where did this come from? I don't know. Maybe it was in my coffee this morning. I- I'm feeling good about the Cardinals heading into this series. Alex leaves and suddenly for the day clarify for the day he'll be back tomorrow (laughs) Um, alex leaves for the day and now tanner's the optimistic one on the show never saw this one coming i'm feeling really good about this series i I like some of the trends i'm seeing from this team they're playing chris baseball we've talked about i like the fact that they went to sosa to start at shortstop tonight give them their best defensive lineman adam wainwright at home i'll take him any day of the week jack flurry looked really good against the royals so i'll take him 
Thursday's the one that I don't know about, but I will take Wayno and Flaherty in these first two games, and I'll say that they win them and that they take two of three. I think they're going to win two out of three as well. Uh, I just I have a good feeling about this team right now. I don't feel good about the fact that I just said that on the radio, and now that's yeah, going to say that they win them and that they take two of three. I think they're going to win two out of three as well. Uh, I just I have a good feeling about this team right now. I don't feel good about the fact that I just said that on the radio, and now that's yeah, going to be played hell? back Thursday and. You guys are going to make fun of me and it's going to be a whole BKO thing and all of that stuff. Not looking forward to that part of things, but yeah, I I think they're going to be able to take two out of three against Milwaukee because the Cardinals have shown they're playing legitimately good baseball right now. And I'm not sure that it's exclusively because of the opponents that they're going up against. I think they're going to be able to continue doing that even against the the above 500 teams. 131 in about 15 seconds. BK, BKO's the Brewers series. Okay, we got it for the tape. Uh, last thing, I do want to get to this real quick. 65780 zero zero for service like four times. I, I've been ready. I, I've kind of shut down on better or forget it. Maybe that's why I'm so optimistic. Last I have to one. quickly kick it back somebody, on. Somebody said this in. I want to get to it because we got to talk more Mizzou. We, we were told by the text line that we don't talk enough Mizzou football that's on this true. show. That's true. We don't. Better or forget it. Oh, don't tell. Is this for, this is probably from Ferrario, isn't it? I can already tell where this is going. If Mizzou gets Luther Burden, the five-star recruit that just decommitted from Oklahoma moments ago, if Mizzou gets Luther Burden to commit, they will win ten games within the next two seasons. Oh, within the next two. So not twenty. Luther Burden wouldn't arrive on campus till twenty twenty-two. So really, the next three years, you'll have a ten-plus win season for Mizzou. Better I'm, to forget it. I'm going to forget that. Winning 10 in the SEC, uh, Drinkwitz is doing a great job, but I still think he's got a couple years to build to get to 10. I I think 8, 9, that 8 and 4 that Ferrario loves preaching about, <laughs> that's maybe more realistic in two years than maybe 9. I don't know if he can get to 10 within the next two, three years, though. 2023 schedule looks favorable. Especially when you're adding Texas and Oklahoma to this. That's 2024, I think, right? Oh, Maybe. 2023, you've got South Dakota, Middle Tennessee, K-State, and Memphis as your non-con games. I feel good about those. You've got LSU, and who is the other cross-divisional? We don't know yet. Oh, LSU and Arkansas as your cross-divisional. LSU's kind of not trending in the same direction that they once were. Might be the year. I'll bet it. I'll go ahead and be positive Pete over here. I'm going to go ahead and say... uh, Mizzou wins 10 games in 2023. That'll be the year. 2023, worth two and a half seasons away. It'll be great. But here, one more quick one. Better forget it. Illinois wins a football Big Ten championship before Mizzou wins an SEC championship. Alabama wins a what? No, Illinois. Don't. I know that Bama reminds you of Illinois, but... <laughs> yeah, very, very similar. Illinois wins a Big Ten championship before Mizzou. Before Mizzou wins an SEC? Yeah. No, no chance. What? Come on, man. Come on. The Big Ten's gonna is just got like two teams in it. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that ain't gonna go well for you. Come on, positive Pete. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. But next, the Cardinal schedule can be seen as both a blessing and a curse. We'll give you both sides of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Quick NFL take before we get to the Cardinals schedule and how it's both a blessing and a curse. I think that the Seahawks are going to live to regret that deal for Jamal Adams. Very good player. 
but he's a linebacker who happens to have a safety next to his name. Like that, he he's listed as a safety. He's a linebacker, and he's very good as a pass rusher. But I think they're going to live to regret that deal. He's not good enough in in coverage, in my opinion. Uh, to be the highest paid safety in the NFL. That's neither here nor there. We'll talk about that another day. The Cardinals schedule, blessing and a curse. Let's talk about the blessing side of things first. Right now, you've got three games head-to-head against the Brewers. That's fantastic. You you need to win these games if you have any chance of climbing your way back into the division. And then after that, you've got nine straight games against the Pirates in Detroit. Again, that's a blessing. And then if you're looking at this from the positive side of things, you have games down the stretch against all of the teams that you need to pass in the standings, basically. You've got a th- you've got games against Cincinnati down the stretch. You've got games head-to-head against the Mets, so you could potentially put them out of the race completely. You've got a three-game set against San Diego. Bunch of the teams that you're co- directly competing against for a playoff spot, you get to go head-to-head where you can gain almost two games in, in one uh, by beating them. And then, oh, by the way, down the stretch, you've got seven games against one of the worst teams in the sport right now in the Chicago Cubs. That's the positive side of the way that the schedule lays out down the stretch for the Cardinals. All right, let's just focus on that. Now the curse side. Uh. I think one of the reasons why a lot of national analysts are not buying into what we're watching from the Cardinals right now is because we have said, hey, the Cardinals have 13 games down the stretch against the Brewers. If you remember when we talked to Kevin Goldstein of Fangraphs, he said, whew, Cardinals have 13 games down the stretch against the Milwaukee Brewers. You can look at that two different ways. It is a positive in that the Cardinals are able to face the team that they're competing against. It's a negative in that the Cardinals have to face one of the best teams in the sport 13 times down the stretch. It's problematic. Dan mentioned it earlier today. It's the second most times that the Cardinals have faced any team in the final 45 games of any season in franchise history. So you're going up against one of the best teams in the sport as much as you faced anybody ever, basically, in the history of your franchise down the stretch. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. And oh, by the way, you also have a four-game set against the Dodgers mixed in here as well. So you're going up against some very good competition after you get done with this Pirates-Tigers-Pirates stretch to finish off this month. Your next 23 straight games are against teams that are at or above 500. Things are about to get much more difficult, and the Cardinals are 20-32 and this season against teams at or above 500. They've struggled in those scenarios. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I think a lot of why going into the Pirates and and Royals series, we had some room for optimism with the Cardinals, was as much about their schedule as it was about who they were as a team. That's about to end here in the next two weeks. It's going to have to become about the Cardinals. It's going to have to become that we believe in this roster. We believe in this team more than, ah, we don't believe in anybody else in the National League and we don't believe in their schedule. So maybe by uh, default, they're going to be able to get a spot. If this Cardinals team makes the postseason, they're going to earn it because what they play down the stretch in September is some really good baseball teams, especially when they're going head to head so many times against the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, 100%. If you can get into the playoffs, you earn it. And it's kind of from what we heard from Claves earlier today on the morning show is that are you going to really prove that you are a team? You can't make the playoffs really by not beating 500 teams. At some point, you're going to have to prove you can beat them, and this is going to be that stretch where the Cardinals can do it. I, I look at this stretch. You mentioned the Brewers 13 times. I, I know that 10-3 and three would be kind of what we'd like to see, but let's be honest. It's probably not going to happen. If you can finish above 500 in the 13 games I think with the it Brewers. Depends. It depends. There, there's two different ways to look at this, in my opinion. If you still believe that the Cardinals are competing for the division, 
You need to go 10 and 3 in those games. All right. I, if you, I don't. If you set that aside for a second, you say, you know what? This season now, you agree with John Mosaloc, what he told the morning show after the trade deadline, and that the best case scenario is that the Cardinals find a way to make it into the wild card. Okay. Yeah. Even if you go 7 and 6 in these games against the Brewers, that might be enough to be able to warrant you a spot into the wild card. So I guess it just depends what your expectations, what your hopes are set at right now. Yeah, I think right now my view is basically on the wild card. I, I think 10, 10 games to catch the Brewers in this stretch, and I get it, you have 13 against them, but th- that just seems like too big a hill to climb in my opinion. So my, my thought process is let's focus on that last wild card spot, and if I can go 7-6 and six against them, and then just make sure I take care of business against the five below 500 teams, and then I take care of business against those, the other teams above 500, the Reds, the Padres, the Mets, as you mentioned, then you're probably going to be a playoff team unless the Padres go on some unbelievable tear. But you look at them and their pitching's not healthy and they have arguably the toughest schedule in Major League Baseball down the stretch. This is this Rocky series is the last series they have against a team below 500 minus the Angels. I think they have a two game set with the Angels. That's it. The rest of the time they're playing the Giants, the Dodgers. They still have to play the Braves twice. I mean, so if you can take care of business against your below 500 teams and you can take two or three from these teams that aren't the Brewers, like that three-game set against the Padres, and then you can go above 500 against the Brewers, to me, you're a playoff team. Yeah, that, that's the goal. We mentioned 2011 a lot, and it's kind of a faulty comparison, but I, I do think the comp, and we brought this up yesterday, is 2019. It, it was what Mike Schilt has brought up before. The Cardinals threw their first 117 games in 2019 were 62-55. and 55. The Cardinals right now are 61 and 56. So they're one game back of their pace in 2019. The Cardinals in 2019 finished the year 91 and 71. We've said all along, it's a race to get to 90 wins. If you can get to 90, you've got a pretty good shot of getting into the postseason with the two wild card spots. Well, you're one game behind that pace right now from where they were in 2019. If you're one game back of where they finish, you finish with 90 wins. It's a matter of wondering, can this team finish the way that they did in 2019? And if you look back at that team, that was not a star-studded lineup. That was not a team that was winning because they were some world beaters by any stretch. But they got hot at the right time. They had Jack Flaherty pitching like a legit ace, and they were able to go on a little bit of a run. I still believe that this team has that in them. I know they're not... Uh, otherworldly talented like the Padres or the Dodgers or even the Giants this year. But they're good enough to be able to go on a run, and I think they can take advantage of this schedule. And then down the stretch, it's about them playing up to their potential. This is going to stop being about the schedule and start being about the Cardinals very soon. It starts really in this series against the Brewers, but even more so it ramps up starting Monday, August 30th, when they travel to Cincinnati to take on the Reds because that's when the schedule really gets tough. And we talk so much about the schedule moving forward and this opportunity. Let's let's also take a second that it was a blessing that you had nine games against the Royals and the Pirates leading up to this series because you went eight and nine and you build momentum. I mean, you've built momentum and you can say, well, they, it, it was against terrible teams. Yeah, but you took care of business, actually, and now you feel good heading into this Brewer series. And the same thing can be said when they get ready to start that, what you just mentioned, that grind when it starts at Cincinnati in two weeks. Because after this three-game set against Milwaukee, you've got six with the Pirates. Or sorry, you've got three, seven with the Pirates and two with Detroit. I mean, right there, again, that's another nine-game yep. stretch that you can build momentum off of. 
heading into that. And hopefully you can just take that momentum and propel yourself moving forward. And that's kind of what we're hoping for now in this Milwaukee series. So I think it's kind of a blessing looking in the past as well. Keep these good feelings going. It's about this momentum. And it, if you can keep it going, sustain it during this stretch. That That's what you're going to need going into uh, those, those easier games. I say that with air quotes uh, coming up against the Pirates and the Tigers. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll cross things over at the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Lane's headed to Chicago. Anthony Stalter's going to be there. Yeah. It's coming up at the end of September. It's a special road trip to Wrigleyville. It could be some pretty important games for the Cardinals. You could potentially win your way in on the fun. Courtesy of Walter Knoll Florist. Right. Visit any Walter Knoll's four area locations now through September the 12th. So you got almost a month left. Find the QR code in store and enter to win a free weekend in the Windy City. It'll include two-night hotel stay, invitation to an all-inclusive happy hour party with the fast lane. That thing is exclusive, so getting in there is important. And $100 gas gift card, plenty more uh, over there as well. Get all the details on this special Chicago trip giveaway with Walter Knoll and the fast lane now at 101ESPN.com. Speaking of the fast lane, we do have Anthony Stalter in studio to cross things over. Stalter, what's going on, man? Things are good. Cardinals, Brewers, this is going to be exciting. Love the pitching matchup. And the Cardinals have an opportunity to anybody saying, and I don't blame you for saying this, but anybody that's been like, all right, Pirates, Brewers, who cares? Do it against a team that is actually in front of you, a good team. Well, the the Cardinals are, are going to have their opportunity. And it's not Wade LeBlanc and Johan Oviedo, and certainly no no offense to those guys, but it's it's not that pitching match. You're, gonna, you're talking about Wainwright, Flaherty, and then what we hope to be Miles Michaelis against their three best. So this is a statement series for the Cardinals. It's huge. It'd be an easy win though if they had LeBlanc. I mean, let's be certainly, honest. yeah, yeah. That would he would just mow down the lineup exactly. for the Brewers. Four and a third innings of just bliss. Oh, don't disrespect my boy. I'm not disrespecting him. I think he he'd can go, go five. about four. He can go five. Okay, five. He'd get the win. Exactly. Mike Schell would make sure he would get the win. Good point. Um, I am super excited about this series. This is. I was talking with Dan about this earlier today. I asked him when when he thought the last time was that he was he had this much anticipation for a series. He said down the stretch in 2019 was probably the last time. And I, I think that if you're a Cardinals fan, we we always reference 2011 or we reference the 2019 run that we saw from the Blues. Like all of those have become the spots that you go to because it ended in, in the title. But if you're looking for a comp for where the Cardinals are and where they hope to finish, it's the 2019 Cardinals. Yeah, They were one game ahead of their current pace in 2019 than where they're at right now. Now, that team didn't have this version of the Brewers that they were trying to catch up to, so it was an easier road to be able to uh, – or a hill to be able to climb. But in the wild card, it's pretty similar. So if you're able to finish the way that you did in 2019, you've got a real shot to be able to, to potentially still make the postseason after what was a strange, strange route to get here. Yeah, that's a good point about 2019. And I remember feeling like the season was just kind of wallowing in 2019. And they were able to close close fast. They were able to, to play really good baseball. You touched on the biggest issue. It's that they didn't have 
the Brewers, and they weren't in such a, a, a big hole. I think that's the reason why we feel the way we do about the Cardinals this year. If yeah. this team was in the NL East, I'm curious your thoughts on this. If you just swapped like the Cardinals and the Miami Marlins, I think we'd feel pretty okay about where the Cardinals are at right now. Yeah, with Almost the Cardinals' like, record or something. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, if they had the same exact performances across the board, they had the same injury luck, all of that, and mm-hmm. you're 61 and 56 right now. Instead of being 10 games back from the Brewers, you'd be right in the mix with the Braves right atop the division, maybe a game, game and a half back of them. So I I think this, how we feel about the Cardinals, at least in my mind, has as much to do with the Brewers outperforming expectations as it does the Cardinals underperforming a little bit. You just bit. said the key word. You said expectations. You're right. It, it's the expectation that, and I had it too, the expectation was that the Cardinals were now the runaway favorites in the NL Central. I believed it at the time. After they acquired Nolan Arenado, before they acquired Nolan Arenado, I felt as though it was going to be 2019 from the standpoint of it, it would feel like nobody wants to win the division. Who who kind of survives based on attrition? But after they acquired Nolan Arenado, I did not think the Brewers were going to do this. I th- I thought the Reds were going to be good, but not capable of you know hanging 10 plus runs on any opponent. You know certainly when they're playing at home. But it's the expectations. So you're disappointed. I'm disappointed by the, the the fact that they've been tethered to this 500 record for two two plus months now. But if you put them in the the NL East, it's not just where they would be right now, Kylie. It would be the expectations going into the year, which would have been, well, if enough things break yeah. break right, maybe you can challenge the Braves. I think the Braves are a little bit better, but you know not. And then all Mets of a sudden the conversation have all exactly. of these stars yeah, and the they Mets just added Francisco Lindor. Lindor. You've got the pitching. How are you going to be able to live up against that rotation right. with DeGrom? And if Syndergaard comes back, like, oh, boy, I, I think you're right. And the Nationals, the star power that's on that team, too. At the time, yeah. certainly, yeah. So the conversation would have been, you know what, if if the offense gets going, if they can get these these pitchers back as opposed to, uh, it doesn't matter, they're you know 11 games back, forget it. And instead, we felt certainty. Yeah. Like, we felt certainty in a situation that should have probably been a little bit more uncertain for right. us. Uh, Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Well, statement series, certainly. We'll talk We'll talk about Cards Brewers. We're going to stick Cards Brewers pretty much the, the entire way. We will mix in some Blues. Looking at the odds, the Blues are 14-1 to, to win the NL Central. What could swing things in terms of the odds? We'll, we'll get uh, Jamie's reaction on that. Plus, we want to hear from listeners. Mic drop reaction. What are your expectations for the statement series? And are you excited about it? Because for me, I didn't care that it was the Royals and Pirates. I just liked the excitement of talking about them in a statement series against a Brewers team. It matters. Mm-hmm. As opposed to two of three against the Pirates, two of three against Milwaukee. Meh. Or two of three against uh, the the Royals. Uh, it's kind of the same team. No, you swept them. Now you get a little momentum. Look, to add a little bit to that real quick, some breaking news being yeah. passed along to us. Uh, oh, you play the lineup game. Never mind. We can't share it. Never mind. Okay. Is, is it, it lineup, lineup out? Is it lineup, lineup related? Lineup related breaking news that the fast lane will get into when the lineup okay, game well, comes. How about this? I promise you we'll get, we'll get to the lineup game right off the bat. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 with Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Who cares what the national media thinks? You guys are better than them. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise. 
The Venture X card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards.